Hey everyone, welcome to Mouths of the Merrimack. I'm Captain Chris, here with Dandy O'Dotty. And we have a great show tonight. We've been waiting all year to get this Chris, guy I feel in. like you've been waiting your whole life for this. <laughs> I, I have, I have. I've been texting Dan, I'm like, we got him coming this week. Yep. So, um, our good friend, one of the guys, uh, one of the charter guides up around this area that for years I looked up to, uh, you guys, you know, some of the old timers in our group here might remember. Mr. Nat Moody from First Light Anglers. How's it going, Nat? It's going pretty well. Thank going you for well. coming out. Absolutely. Absolutely, man. So, how have you been? I've been all right. Yeah? Been all right, yep. Great, great. So, Nat, I don't even know where to begin with you, because I know a lot of the guys that used to come to the shop listen to our podcast and stuff, and one of the things when I was growing up in the fishing world as a kid in high school and college you guys at First Light Anglers just had that tuna bite dialed in before anybody was really doing it. You had a great shop. I love going in, hanging out. You know, half the time I didn't talk because I was so friggin' nervous. <laughs> now I was just going in and kind of getting the whole scene, you know? So can you just give us a little bit of your background growing up and what steps you took and how you ended up becoming a charter captain, shop owner, and, and from there? Sure, absolutely. I've, I've been fishing forever. My pop, my father's pretty fanatical. So we were, I grew up surf casting. So we would leave Friday nights from Beverly, drive the jacked up blazer down to the Cape. We'd surf fish all night, Friday night, all night, Saturday night. We'd fish the canal Sunday on the way home, come back Sunday night. And we did that every weekend as long as I can remember until, I guess it was, what, 82? We bought a Lund and threw it in the Essex River. And then we were ruined on uh, on the on driving all the way to the Cape and surfing. <laughs> That's all it takes, right? <laughs> uh, but that was back in the day where you caught, you know, 140-pound bass a year and two schoolies. Yeah. It was crazy. Bluefish the whole time. But, um, so it started there. I've, I've been fishing forever. Uh, freshwater, saltwater, everything else. But I was out in Colorado in college. Decided to come back, finish my college at Emerson in Boston, and I was working in a boatyard in Manchester, Summers, and they needed a launch driver. So he said, "Hey, you know, if you, well, if you're willing to get your captain's license, we'll pay for the whole thing, and you can run oh, the launch for us next year." What a deal! It was great. Yeah. So that was uh, I got my license spring of '95. And we opened the shop February of 96 in Manchester. We were yep. there for a while before we moved up to Raleigh. Um, oh, the, there was a shop in Manchester prior. Yeah, yeah, oh, I didn't know that. Yep. How long was it there for? Uh, well, it was 10 years anyway. Cause we, wow. Yeah, we had First Light for 19 years running. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah, uh, this will be my 28th season of chartering. Yeah. yeah um, Still feeling it? Yeah, I still wake up before my alarm, which I think yeah, yeah, that's a good thing. Sign, you know? <laughs> right? Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, we're really looking forward to getting back out there for sure. Yeah, 100%. Now, let's go. I want to go back when you said when you first started fishing, there wasn't many stripers around. That was kind of before I started getting into fishing. So, like, what would you do? What would you fish for in those times? So, daytime, we would uh, we'd go rake fresh sand eels. Yeah. And then we'd high, low rig sand eels off the beach all night long. Oh, no kidding. And then you'd have a plug and rod or an eel rod or, or something else with you if, you if you felt like doing it. But literally sitting there. Sand spikes and dead sand eels, you hook them upside down on the high or low rig and sit there and wait. No shit. My dad got to know Frank Daniel way back in the day. That was like 77, 78. So we would follow Frank around yeah. when we wanted to get on the good plug bites. Frank was commercial bass fishing from the beach, yeah. from his truck. Um, but somehow he and my dad hit it off, and we, and we ended up spending a bunch of time with him driving the whole lot of Cape. And at that point, you could drive 
race point to Chatham. Yeah. All the way, the whole. Right on the beach? The whole outside of the beach was yeah. open. Um, and my mom, my sister, my mom's an artist, and my, they'd be awake all day doing stuff on the beach, and dad and I would fish all night and go to sleep all day Ooh, in the truck. <laughs> what a perfect combo that yeah, is. That was good. It was good. That was a good way to grow up, for sure. So high, low, and sand eels. That's something you don't hear that too often these no, days. I, I'm sure it still works. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. You don't even hear many people. I know up by us. Like, back in the day, we used to get sand eel chum for mackerel. Yep. It was, like, the best chum. Absolutely. And now nobody sells it. Nobody, no. I think there's only a couple permits, and those guys don't even do not even do it. Yeah, there's really no market for it. Yeah. yeah. It's crazy how things change. Yep. So what would you catch on those? Stripers? Stripers and bluefish. Bluefish, yeah. yeah. I heard back in the day, like, in those days, the bluefish were kind of everywhere. Everywhere. Yeah. yeah, and when we first started fishing up here, early '80s, that was that was pretty much all you had. Yeah, pogies everywhere, and you'd go snag pogies and live on them for bluefish, and that was sort of all you did. Yeah. I remember when we first had our big school pogies first show up, probably like six years ago, seven years ago now. Yep. Like those days where the whole beaches were covered in pogies, and I remember when they first came, all the old timers like, "We're gonna get a million bluefish." Yeah. And we never did. Yeah. I had I had literally maybe twenty minutes of bluefish that season. Yeah, all in one like tight little bite, and then that was it. It's been strange. You hit you hit a little window of them every now and then, but it's not like you're finding bluefish mixed in with the bass. No, no, it's so, like kind of more one or the other. This yeah. past year it was a little mixed in, but we were definitely targeting at that time bluefish, yeah. and we'd still get a few stripers. Or we do like the early morning first, like get our stripers, yeah, get our fix, and then you know around eight or nine go troll around the blues. So. Yeah. No, it's changes every year. You never really know what's coming. Isn't it insane? Like, we don't have a lot of species here, but the fishery changes quite often. Constantly. Constantly. There's always one little knack or one little trick or, or one little, um, like, factor, yeah. you know, and in, in comes into play. And it seems like that factor kind of changes within the season, but also season to season. Absolutely, and and bigger bodies of fish. You're not like you're not picking away at onesie twosie stuff anymore. You get on a, on a wad of fish, and it's a wad. Of yeah, big, of big fish. Yeah, especially with the big fish. Yep, especially. It, it's been really interesting, and that and that's you know, a lot of times it's like a mile away from where it was the week before, or it's you know a mile that spot is a mile different. I don't know why than it was the season before. As soon as you figure it out, you got it. Yep, and it stays pretty consistent for the rest of the year, but. Um, it does. It, it varies a lot these days. It, it really does. And like going back to like, you know, the big fish. I feel like you know earlier when I started fishing when I was younger, things were a little more spread out. Like you could catch fish kind of everywhere. Yeah. Where like you said, now when you have to find them, but once you find them, it's pretty solid. Yeah, absolutely. You know. Um. So we still do the resident bass thing down on the south side of Cape Ann and the rocks. I mean, there's you know spots where fish live every single day, and you you can go work over a little school of fish and get a couple of bites here and a couple of bites there. But up here on the beach side, it's it's definitely big groups of fish and, and not a lot in between. Them. It's so hot or cold because like two years ago, the bite off the beach was actually pretty much every year there's at least some bite off the beach. But yep. this year, this past season, I felt like I fished as little on the beach as I ever have. Yeah, I, did, I didn't find it all that great this year. No, we, we would pull out, you know, we might get one or one or two big ones, but then it was just like, all right, like let's go do something else. Yeah. You know, so we, I felt like, we were probably like at a fifty percent rate of like hitting a forty inch bass, but like it was few and far between, you know. Yeah, on the front of the beach for sure. Yeah, and especially with how much time we were spending getting mackerel this year, because we had tuna, whales, stripers offshore, kind of pushing the mackerel around. So it yep. was kind of annoying to really you couldn't really just 
load up your 100 baits for the day. Yep. You had to kind of work for it a little bit. So for us making that run down the beach while running other places to get mackerel, you know, it was a, lot, a little... A lot of time running. running. Yeah, just yeah. a lot of time running that we're used to. Yeah, I found a lot more big groups of big fish in, in weird places this year, places I've never found them. Yeah. Deeper, in deeper water. Um, yeah. And, you know, within three miles of the beach, but it just is some random tide line. And you go out there and you catch 40 bass over 40 inches on SP minnows in a morning. It'd yeah. just be insane. And then you go back the next day and there'd be nothing. And you go back the next day and there'd be a million fish there again. That's so weird about the deep water because we we've been talking about that this year, too. Mm -hmm. It's just uh, that was another resurgence. Like, I haven't fished in the deep water in, you know, eight or nine years, yep. you know, consistently. At least yeah. charter fishing, you know. Yeah. So that was good that we saw that, but same thing that like you were saying. We were finding tide lines, tide lines where the fish were, yep. and every day it changed. Yep. So uh, no, it's it's been interesting. It, it it keeps you on your toes, keeps it interesting. It definitely does keep it fun. Yeah, absolutely. So you know, I know you were a big bass guy. Were you a big fly fisherman too, growing up? Always, yeah. Yeah, especially yep. out in Colorado. I'm assuming Colorado bit. Yep. Um, I think I went to the Orvis fly fishing school when I was five. Yeah. Um, and did a lot of trout fishing here. Um, and then Colorado, obviously. Mon I did Colorado, Montana, Wyoming for a couple of years. Oh, nice. So what were you going out there for? Trout? All trout. Salmon? Yeah. Uh, college, all trout fishing. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, doing cool projects out there. I did a program through University of Montana where there was a Wild and Scenic Rivers Act designation that came out. And part of our college curriculum was we had to determine the fish populations in all of the major rivers in the state of Montana. So a group of eight of us traveled around, and I was the only one who knew how to fish. <laughs> so I and that Moody came along, that population went way down. <laughs> I basically fished for a summer for college credit. It was fantastic. Oh. Um, but, uh, yeah, all, all trout out there. And I, I loved it out there, but I always got the sense, like, you go back to the same river and you kind of catch the same fish out from behind the same rock. Yeah. And, um, so the freshwater fish, oh, I was largemouth and pickerel fishing all day, all day today, and it was a, it was a blast. But... Um, you know, the freshwater trout stuff was always great, but I I always had a thing for the salt. We'd go down and we'd fish tarpon. Um, Dad always loved tarpon fly fishing, so we'd do the Keys and we'd do Boca Grande. We'd, nice. Um, lucky enough to travel a bunch and do bone fishing, a lot of permit fishing in Mexico and a lot yeah. of that stuff. So, yeah, fly fishing on my own, if I'm not chartering, I would say is, you know, 80% of what I do. But oh, okay. I would say charters. When I first started fishing, I bet I was... 75 to 80 percent fly fishing mm -hmm. charters for stripers and i bet now it's 20 percent you know there's only so many guys that you can take out oh it's a little windy why don't you throw this mackerel over the side and see what happens and yeah pretty pretty soon they don't even bring their fly yeah, no, exactly. yeah <laughs> you know? let's just catch them <laughs> yeah that's how it normally yeah. works yeah that that's kind of weird that fly fishing thing even around us and up in new report you're seeing less and less of it as the years go on yeah. i don't know if it's just a function as you know, then um, people are having a hard time catching fish and staying engaged, or like there's a lot of work to get good at it too. Absolutely. And you know, with today's like internet meme thing, like are people younger people really putting in the time to master that art? I don't think so. Or do they just want to get a fish get and a move fish. on? Yeah, yeah. Less yeah. Less. I probably fall in that category because <laughs> I never caught a fish in the fly my entire life, but it's just never interested me. Yeah. yeah. No, there were a lot of years there early on when. You know, late 90s when we would, we would run all the way from Gloucester to Joppa and fish Joppa for the outgoing tide. Yeah. And there'd be 40 guys out there in skiffs fly fishing. Yeah. Um, Nowadays you'll see like three maybe yeah. on a good day fly fishing. I don't know. I'm, I'm getting wicked boatophobic as, as I get on and on. So I don't yeah. I don't go anywhere near crowds anymore. I can't take it. I, I won't go fish that big Boston feed. Unless, no. Unless it's, you know, someplace I can get a little piece of it myself. And, yeah. Um, more and more I find myself hiding. <laughs> 
How much nicer is it though? Especially like finding a bite away from oh, everybody. Yeah. It's oh, just yeah. like the ultimate. Yeah, I can't. But it's uh, old and curmudgeon-y, but I, I can't deal with the people. <laughs> 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 I really can't. I can't even imagine the shit show that's going on in Boston these days. Yeah, it's a mess, and it's it's legit. I mean, the, the fishery is insane, yeah. but it's it's. I mean, it's fifty boats on a one school of pokies, and everyone's casting and snagging pokies. And, crossing lines running each other's lines over and hooking fish and breaking them off on other people's boat like no it's not worth it how far of a ride is that from Gloucester for you if you wanted to fish that bite it's quick 18 miles 18 so that's not too bad yeah yeah um, and, and the bait spots directly between the harbor and there so yeah so. It, it, it's it's a doable yeah um but i, I prefer to find them somewhere else. See, what's nice is, like, if you want to fish Boston, you got, like, that 18-mile tra- straight track. If I want to go fish, like, the southern side of Thatcher's, that's 18 miles, but I'm going around Cape Ann. Yeah. And that's always, like, an iffy. You never know what that weather is going to turn like no, out there. absolutely. Yeah. The prevailing southwest, it's a little crappy outside of, outside of Thatcher. It's a little snippy out yeah. there, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right. So, we're talking about fly fishing. We're talking about bass fishing here, but, you know... You were running a shop and chartering at the prime time of when we started to get these little football tunas around. Oh, yeah. The pinnacle of the fishing up here in the Northeast. Yep. How did you get involved? Like, like I'm assuming you were guiding inshore at that time. Yep. Right? How did you, um, you evolve into that spin tuna game before it was jigging and bopping? We were, yeah, we were, <laughs> before it had a label. Um, we were running in from giant fishing. It must have been... Oh eight, oh seven, oh eight, something like that, and it's just this frothing ball of fish off the of thatchers, and we were like, "Oh, big bluefish feed! Let's grab a couple for bait for tomorrow." We pull in there, and they're all fifty-pound bluefins going mad. Um, so obviously we ordered giant fly rods and giant fly reels the next day. Yeah. So when those arrived, we had them overnighted, so we had gear. We went back out there. I went back out there three days later in my dad's 22 Eastern, because at the time we only had the 19-foot skiff. Ended up chasing a school of fish to about 15 miles southeast of Thatcher's and hooking like a 300-pounder on the fly and getting <laughs> smoked on my tarpon, wow. on my tarpon rig. Um, absolutely spooled me. But, and fishing, you know, IGFA, 20-pound tippets and the whole deal. So we got to, <laughs> you got to the end of the backing. I, you had really high hopes, I, I had a real 500 yards of backing back in. I was going to die. <laughs> um, but then we, we got some good gear a couple of days later. And Derek and I took the 19-footer, went south of Thatcher's, um, started chasing a bunch of fish. And they were up and down real quick and up and down real quick. And worked all the way to basically off the northeast corner of the bank. And there's a hurricane forecast for the next day. Of course. Of course. So we're out there, and we're it, waves start coming up, and we're starting to get pounded. And we're like, oh, we got to start working our way back. And start, we'd actually thrown a Rapala out and snapped a fish off. Um, we started working our way back. We're probably like the funny hump. We're still 15, 18 miles yeah. off of Gloucester. And the fish came up, and they were all like 65 inches on mackerel. And it was absolutely insane. So we... Take the boat out of gear. Both of us jump up with fly rods. We double up on those fish. Derek ended up pulling his hook, and I got mine. That was the first one fly that I think anyone north of the Cape had, had ever caught. I can't with. imagine anybody's ever caught a bluefin um, on a fly. Um, we, we ended up catching a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but uh, then we were then we were ruined. And then, then we found the <laughs> then we found the Pen ninety five hundred reels and Power Pro was like. The hot new thing. It just came out. It was like literally Those a big mobile. spin reels and that braid just came yep. out at the perfect time. Yep. And then you could actually do it. Yeah. Um, and then 
then we were crazy with it for 15 years. I mean, we were booking we were booking a whole season the season before. Like guys would book a week at a, a week at a whack. We were running, you know, 180 trips or yep. something just just chasing all little, tuna, all chasing little bluefins. Oh my god! The so they show when up. they're up and down quick like that, are you cha- are you gun running and gunning for them, or are you kind of you say remain patient and see what happens? A lot of times I'll stop and blind cast if, if there's yeah. a, a, if there's anything that would lead me to believe that those fish are working a, a tide edge or, or you know you see a couple little turns kind of still flying around and looking those those quick up and down little wolf packs I'll sit there and blind cast for half an hour before I start running around too okay much. yeah it's um, good to know there's a you know there's a there's a good chance those fish are still pretty close by even though they're not coming up yeah um, but yeah, yeah I hope they come back it's, there's plenty of them out there. If they just gotta, we gotta get some small bait and shore, and they'll, they'll show again. Just gotta get them up and in. Yep. Up and in. That's all we need. So you started off there, right? And then just the craze all of a sudden hit. It was nuts. And you guys were learning it as you go. There, yeah. there was no internet really to speak no. of. There was no articles. No. no one had done this before. So you guys are we were talking this whole new fishery all to yourselves. We heard that the Japanese had all the stuff to do it. So we were like trying to find Japanese tackle shops in the yellow pages and trying to find somebody that could oh figure God. out where the tackle shops were <laughs> in Tokyo. We had a buddy of ours from school was actually teaching English after college in uh, Tokyo. Yeah. And we were we were desperate to track him down. We had no idea how to find the guy. <laughs> you gotta find a tackle shop, you gotta send us some of the stuff they got over there because we got something. Um, but uh, yeah, and we just kept picking away and picking away and finding finding things that worked. Yeah. Um, but it would change every year, and, and then owning a tackle shop, it was great because you went from the heavy spin gear, and four years later, the fish were too big for the spin gear, and you oh. sold everybody 30s and 50s, and then two years later, they were all 80 inches, and everybody wanted 80s, and two yep. years after that, they were all giants, and everyone came in about 130s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, I know I got a whole gambit of a slew of tuna fishing gear from over the years from back then because every year I thought my father was going to have a heart attack. He's like, I can't be doing this anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was it was pretty gear intensive there at the beginning, but yeah, it was, yeah, nothing like it. I mean, years when we would jig, and then the butterfly jigs came out, started butterfly yep. jigging, and soft plastics on jig heads when they were on the sand eels on the northern end of the bank there, and. Then uh, a lot of topwater stuff on the baby herring when the baby herring came in, and then we had one year that was all out to the east on Capelin, which I haven't I don't I haven't seen a Capelin since. Capelin? What the hell is a Capelin? It looks like a giant silverside, like a six inch long silverside. Really? Yeah, from the North Atlantic. Um, yeah. <laughs> Go the, figure. And the fish got on them hard. If it had anything that looked like them, they would they would absolutely annihilate it. Yeah. That was thankfully that was when things were starting to get busy, and and we could sneak away out there and get away from the boats and everything else. Yeah. Um, and we were running two boats, plus I was captain in the big boat for the guy out of Boston, so we were out there. Constantly. You were running two boats at that time? You had the Silverhawk? We had uh, we had Silverhawk, we still had the 19-foot skiff. Oh, okay, all right. So, so the bass trips were running uh, on the on the skiff, and the Silverhawk was running the, uh, yeah. running the tuna and stuff. What is the Silverhawk? Uh, there was a 24-footer that was built down in New Jersey. It was a 23 Seacraft splash, basically, oh, okay. a little wider, a little longer, and a little heavier. Nice. But yeah, we put 19,000 engine hours on that boat. And five sets of motors. Oh. Um, yeah. And then uh, it unfortunately sank about five years ago. And 
Guy salvaged it. He put it back together. He put a brand new 350 Suzuki on it, and it's sitting over in Gloucester. It's gorgeous. I completely <laughs> rebuilt the whole boat. Yeah, I, no, it's awesome. I was like, if you even knew the mayhem that went on in that skiff. Now, that boat, was it an inboard when you first got it, or no. was it always an outboard? Because yeah, they, they do make them in inboards, Yeah, correct? they made about twice as many inboards as they made outboards Yeah, on that Silverhawk 24, and, and we had one of the outboards. We, we were at the boat show in Boston, and we were sick of getting killed in our 19-footer. Yeah. Um, and we found that. Actually, uh, got, a, got a pretty good deal at the boat show, and off we went. There you go. Oh, it's yeah. a different price back then. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. yeah. yeah. We were like, yeah. oh, my God, $40,000 for a 24-footer brand new. Yeah. Like, oh, my yeah. God, dude. That's, yeah. that's so, so crazy. Yeah. Out of anything you talk on, about yeah. today, yeah. that might be the most nuts thing I've heard. Yeah. 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 Now I'm helping a buddy shop for like a, like a high 30-foot center console, and it's like, oh, yeah. this one's only $850,000. Yeah, dude, it's, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. It's ridiculous, but I just saw it on Instagram somebody posted a CV with Trip Verado 400s. It's just like Jesus Christ. Oh, I ran. I run one of those for a guy out of Manchester, 30, 37 with Trip 350 Verados. That's a that's a great boat. Yeah, I fish a couple of days a year on that boat. That thing that thing will rip. Yeah, that was always one of my favorite growing up. Yeah, the CV for sure. Especially when you get in those bigger sizes. Yeah. So seeing the uprising of the tuna back then, like, how do you think it compares to today? Do you think we're going there again? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, the volume of small fish that's offshore, and, I mean, I'm now involved in a lot of the regulation-type stuff. Mm -hmm. um, I was on a conference call with National Marine Fisheries two Februarys ago, and they tried to tell us that there were 10,000 bluefin between 47 and 65 inches left in the Western Atlantic. And it's like, guys, the harpooners go out there, and they have to drive an extra 12 miles to get away from the yeah. little ones yep. to find a keeper. You know, it's... There are so many small fish that are just not coming inside. And they're, you know, basing a lot of these regulations on just dockside surveys. Yeah. So the dockside guy comes by and he says, hey, did you catch any small tuna fish today? And you say, no, because I drove eight and a half miles from the dock and caught two 600-pounders on my charter. <laughs> yeah. Home. yeah. You know, why nobody's out there chasing them up here anymore, really, the small fish. Uh, just because the, there's so many giants around. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, I, I, I think we're going to see... Big shows of the small fish like Chatham has again if the bait comes around. Um, Any particular bait you're hoping for? The small, the small herring. The small herring. And the That's herring population killer. is in is in pretty poor shape. Yeah. Um, but those small herring were really what kicked off that whole inshore tuna thing. I always felt like when I was on a, a on a feed of small herring, they stayed up longer. They were a little more predictable. Yep. They were kind of hard to chew though. Yeah, they were. You they had to kind of mimic them. Yep. You know. Um, yeah, a lot of a lot of dead drops of metal. Just, yeah, just letting it flutter. Yeah, that's how I probably caught most of mine on spin gear. Yeah, like a little two ounce crippled herring or yeah, something like that. Just letting it fall out of them. Yeah, um, but yeah, yeah. I mean, if if you get those conditions to come together, it's it's pretty special. Pretty special. I mean, I saw I saw bass on squid this year up on top. I mean, there's a, the bait situation has changed so much. I don't remember yeah. ever really seeing anything but the little harbor squid around here and now now we got all these giant squid that we're using for tuna bait and there's all sorts of small squid running around yep very little of the small bait i filleted a few bass this year that had butterfish in them oh yeah yeah and i've yeah. never really maybe one or two but how many i saw this year big ones too like five inches oh, like yeah. solid size butterfish and they come through early they uh, i know a guy with a uh purse or a pair Trawl, not a pair trawl, like a trap for yeah. lobster bait. He's already got pogies and butterfish in his net up in up in Maine. No shit. As of last week. Wow. Um, and another guy that used to run one of those down off a of singing beach in Manchester always said the butterfish come through real early in the spring. Really? Um, 
So they're, they're definitely around. Like shallow? Like Yeah, oh yeah, in like 40, 50 feet of water. No kidding. Giant schools of butterfish running up and down the beach. I wonder if what some of those fish out in the deeper water, like in that range off of Plum Island, I wonder if that's, the, well, yeah, that's what they're hitting on. Yeah. Well, that, all those balls bait that you mark and you yeah. can't jig anything out of, yeah. I'm not pretty convinced that's all butterfish. Yeah, no kidding. That makes sense, right? You're jigging for it, you're like, what the hell? I'm not getting it. Won't need it, won't need it, won't need it. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think a lot of that's butterfish. Very interesting. Um, we don't, I, I haven't cut a lot out of tuna fish the last two years, but I'm, I know they're eating them. Yeah, I know definitely when I fish down at the Cape that, you know, yeah, they're mostly on butterfish. Yeah. yeah, I mean, when we were down fishing P-Town this year, right? With yeah, Kyle, it was all butterfish. It was all butterfish, yeah. yeah. And they could be a pain to get to bite them when they're on the little butterfish too dude you're telling me yeah, I, we had 10 seasons worth of casting these fish yeah you, <laughs> you came tight real quick i used to my elbow yeah yeah it had an old leader and snapped yeah, yeah. Finally. no no yeah, Every, everyone's got like three rods right he grabs <laughs> the one that's next to him yeah. it's our buddies and he fires it off and he goes i don't know if that thing's any good we're like oh no <laughs> tight yeah yeah Big. <laughs> yeah that was a rough one but yeah. there'll be there'll be other shots absolutely so when so I don't know if you want to talk about it. So like the lures and stuff have changed so much from back in the day. Absolutely. Because now people are making more lures to target these fish, yep. and you see them upwards of a hundred dollars without hooks. I want one. That's uh, somebody out there wants to buy me a Christmas present. I, I want one. I want one of those strategic angler half peak lures. At some, <laughs> some point in my life. I'll tell you one thing. They look so good in the water. Oh, I can't, I, I, I they look so good. Terrified to throw a friggin' hundred dollar lure, but oh, you got to tell them the story about kyle (laughs) Kyle, he goes dude what are you doing i'm like "Ah, i'm just getting off my second trip man it's like four in the afternoon he's like my buddy went the east side of jeffrey's yesterday and there was fucking tuna everywhere let's go i'm like what (laughs) i'm like all right yeah let's go so four o'clock 4 30 in the afternoon (laughs) blast out like 26 27 miles and um it was crazy nat there was just as far as your eye could see, birds just sitting on the water, yep. just sitting. You could smell the oil. Yeah, we we just blind casted, tried trolling around, couldn't. No life of tuna, but we're like, dude, I think we just missed something epic. Yeah, absolutely. So he's like, all right, I'm bored. He goes, I'm gonna, I just he had a whole bag of strategic anglers he just bought. He goes, all right, here we go, cast it. I don't even know what happened. I think he had a wine on leader and then snapped. Hung up in the gut. And he just goes, oh, fuck. (laughs) First throw. So he came on my boat, and he was looking for another one. He goes, dude, what am I looking for? He's like, this is the boat I want, right? So he happens to find one used down in South Carolina. So this was like Monday or Tuesday we went out fishing. By Friday, he's already down got, there. Got a new boat ready to go. <laughs> Guess who the guy he goes out with on this pair of custom? Guess who his buddy is? Merv no, from no Strategic kidding. Angler. <laughs> nice. So they went fishing together, and he just sends them boxes oh, of shit now. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. But, like, that's too funny. I just remember, like, every lure I got, that was like, oh, we got to change out the split rings. We got to change exactly. out the hooks. Exactly. You know? Yeah. No, by him. I mean, some of that, those little Yozuri L-Jacks and some oh, of that little, little... They don't even make those anymore. No, they're gone. If I see one, I buy it yep, just to hydro, have it. Hydro minnows, I got a box of them at home. All, and we were putting heavy-duty fly tying hooks on the back because you couldn't find an offset single to, to yeah. run on there. And uh, Yeah, it was, a, it was a lot of experimentation. But That's right. That changed, too. Just the inline singles now yep. brings another point to the game. I just got a bunch of BKKs and swapped them out. Yeah. And it's amazing just, like how sharp and thin they are compared to like the we used to use like live bait hooks exactly. all the time right exactly yep yeah 
No, I started changing that out even on like SP minnows and stuff. Yeah, oh, fast. yeah, me too. It's great. Yeah. What were you using for jig heads for the soft plastics back then? First ones we found were um, a, a heavy dually Kalen. It was like a halibut jig head, but you can only get them in like four ounces, so it was way too heavy. Mm -hmm. And then we started with the owner saltwater jig heads. That's right. Um, and those work. Those work really well for a bunch of years. Um, and then it was on to the Ronzi's and the and yeah. all, all that sort of stuff eventually. Yeah. Um, and now there's a bunch of them. I there. just picked up a bunch of the Al Gags. I think he has it's owner yep. owner hooks he has on there. They're yep. pretty awesome. Yeah. Can't wait to use them. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, it's nice to have some dedicated tackle that actually comes pre-rigged and ready ready to roll because it was there was a lot of manipulation and trying to get yeah it for sure change things out. Oh yeah, it's definitely still hard to spend twenty eight <laughs> bucks for a Ron Z instead of a pack of sluggos. Oh yeah, that's for exactly. sure. <laughs> no, I remember making four foot leaders, putting an egg sinker ahead of a swivel and a single live bait hook and just putting a soft plastic on that yep. and having to throw it like a helicopter through <laughs> yeah. the air. Yeah. But, but the fish had eaten it all day long. Yeah, um, yeah, you, you just keep picking away till you figure something out. But yeah, I mean so. so like, as you guys are kind of experimenting with this, right, you guys also must have had to go through that gambit of trying out different lures, different lines, you know, stuff like that. Like, yeah. there must have been a lot of failure accrued as well before you guys kind of figured it out. Yeah, we got lucky on the one thing that was always tricky was the braid to fluoro knot. Yeah. And there was one guy um, that we tarpon fished with in Key West for years that was building the IGFA leader. So he wanted to go from his bite tippet to... Uh, his his class tippet, and he came up with the Slim Beauty knot. Yeah. And so we use that Slim Beauty knot for yeah. I, I actually still use it. Um, it's a little chunky going up through the guides, but other than that, I, I I'm not gonna never had one fail. It's so funny um, whenever I talk about the Slim Beauty knot, people look at me like, what? What is that? I'm like, oh, it's the magic knot. <laughs> it's the old school knot. Yeah. Yeah. Still works. Still works. No hollow spectral wind on. I mean. Yeah. The funny thing about it is, it's not that slim. It's not at yeah, all. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Not in 84 it's not. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, but yeah. again, it, it's strong. You know how to tie it. You can tie it with your eyes closed. Yeah. I mean, I can't. It doesn't break. Getting through. I don't tie it on the water as much because trying to get it through the little bowl sometimes yeah. Yeah. is a huge pain in oh, yeah. the ass. I get frustrated. Oh, yeah. Now I need readers. It's a, yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 I was doing it today while we were largemouth fishing. I had to put on a new leader. And uh, fishing braid on the little tiny light gear and trying to try to tie a Slim Beauty in a boat in the wind with like 12 pound fluoro. Oh, yeah, that's windy out there. It's like impossible. 12 pound braid. It's <laughs> <laughs> useless. Yeah. You, you need a uni. Yeah, exactly. yeah. <laughs> that's when it comes I know. out. I always, quick, get it back out. I do there. always go out with these nice knots, the Slim, slim Beauties, <clears throat> FG knots, and then, then it's like, all right, uni, uni, we're out here. <laughs> no, we're just catching pickerel. Yeah. <laughs> oh, actually, this is kind of funny. I got to ask Nat because he's the man. Me and Bert. Uh, Dan's stepfather used to always have kind of like a discussion about how we were tiring our Slim Beauties as far as how many wraps up and how many wraps down. Yep. What's your go-to? Seven up, 11 back. Seven up, 11 back. I was correct. <laughs> <laughs> yep. uh -huh. I think I was going I think I was going eight up, 10 back or something like that. Yeah, the but, magic in, in mono to mono was three up and five back, and we found it was just slipping too much with the braids. Yeah, you have to nick those extra. Do you double your line? No. No, you just go no, single just, twos? Just yeah, me too. Fallon does that. Fallon will do like a bit me twist and then, and and then, then do the it double. for the double. Yeah. Yeah, that'd yeah. be pretty rugged. Yeah, that ain't going anywhere. No, no <laughs> certainly not. <laughs> 
I know, and it's crazy. And now with like all the advancements in Holocore and people doing loop to loop stuff and direct yeah. splicing. You know, I'm still a knock guy when it comes to spinning gear for tuna. At, at least in terms of timing, I'm going to be able to. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty anal about changing leaders every fish when we're when we're casting the fish and everything else. And to, you know, I guess uh, we used to have Basil come up and go to our yep. seminars, and and his his stuff is fantastic. But if I was burning through that many leaders, I think I'd still go right back to the knot. Yeah, well, that's the thing. They're the wine-ons are expensive to make. I feel like you got to cut them just perfect so they're yep. not wrapped around the spool. Yep. You know, um, and quite honestly, I could probably tie a knot faster than I can re-rig a wind on. I can, yeah. For sure, yep. 100%. Yep, just whip another leader on while the guy's throwing the back up rod and then swap, yeah. swap them back up. Exactly, yep. exactly. So it's like, I know a lot of people are doing that wind on stuff when it comes to casting. I don't mind it so much in the jigging world because yep. it's not, you know, you can do longer leaders. You can get yep. that more secure connection, I guess, well, yep. technically. But, um, yeah, I've always been a solid braid to tie it on my leader. Yeah. You know. Keep it easy. That's, yeah. That's half the battle. Don't, don't overthink it sometimes, <laughs> no, I guess. Exactly. You know, we're probably more prone to overthink things than always. underthink them. Always. Yeah. You get me going on giant fishing and I'm questioning everything every single day. And something's worked for 35 years and you're like, oh, I'm going to change the whole system. <laughs> 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 that one fish didn't bite, so now i got to change everything. Right. You get caught up in it. It's craziness. So out of all the fishing that you have done, is what's your favorite? What do you enjoy most? I like giant fishing. I you like giant fishing? I, I really get an issue with giant fishing. And permanent, permanent on the fly. Um, you know, in the tropics, and some tarpon on the fly, like small tarpon, the big sick of pulling on big ones for two hours. Yeah, that sounds terrible. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, That's the worst of your problems. Uh, you're doing all right. Yeah, right. yeah. But if I had to do something every day for the rest of my life, I had to pick one fishery. It'd be giant fishing. Yeah. What 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 attracts you to that over other things? It's there's so many little nuances that you have to get right to get consistently bit. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's less and less these days because um, there's so many fish around. It's crazy, and they you know. Anybody and their brother can hook a mackerel in the back and throw it over the side and catch one. It's yeah. like these days. But um, just all the little rigging stuff that's taken, you know, 30 years to, to figure out. Uh, yeah. It's, it's kind of fun finding those little things that only you do and um, that you know work. Yeah, absolutely. Now, uh, do you, are you a big experimenter while you're out there? Or do you kind of take it back home, think about it, and then maybe try it the next trip? Or is it something that like you're changing on the fly while you're out there? Uh, my mate, the guy that I commercial giant fish with, is great at just playing around with something. Yeah. It'll be, a, hey, Mike, I'm gonna sit in the bean bag for half an hour, and, and he'll, he'll be, you, you'll hear like chainsaws going in the back of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Figuring out how to re-rig something, you know, some different way. Yeah. Uh, so he does a lot of the experiments. And I, the way I rig my baits is sort of in the way I've rigged my baits for years. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's always fun. Change it up a little bit. Now, if you were talking to somebody new who might be listening to this podcast when it comes to giant fishing or somebody who's, you know, it's a big learning curve. I'm yeah. sure a lot of people go out, they buy all the gear, they see the TV show, and they go out there and they're like, this really fucking sucks. Yeah, this is a lot of sitting around and chum yeah. flies in the middle of July. Oh, the chum flies are yep. the worst. Um, what would be like one piece of advice you would give to somebody new to kind of speed up that learning curve? Shorten up your anchor line, and if you get off the edge, you got to re-anchor. Okay. I see way too many people with 600 feet anchor line out, and they're drifting way off the edge, way up on the edge, way down the edge from the you know where they want to be. Yeah. I'm fishing like 220 feet of poly. 
yeah. straight up and down to a giant anchor and half inch chain. So I, I sit right on my number all day long. Yeah. And if I get off it by, if I'm out of the depth I want to be in by 12 feet, 15 feet, I'm, yep. I'm picking up the hook and reset. No shit. Um, so I'll reset, you know, six, eight times a day sometimes just trying to stay on it. Just little, stay right where you want to go. Whether it's an edge, whether it's a notch in an edge, whether it's a, you know, a little flat where the bait is, whatever, yep. whatever it is, I'm, I'm constantly resetting to stay on. Yeah. And I can't tell you how many thousands of times it's been like, oh, no, I'll just, I'll give this 10 more minutes here. We're not perfect, but it's okay. Finally, I get sick of it. I move up the, you know, literally pull the anchor, move the anchor ball twelve feet over. Yeah. Put it back down, get back on the anchor, and go off. Um, oh. I mean, it happens all the time. Um, sometimes they're just in that perfect depth, or yeah. sometimes your bait's at the perfect depth because you've moved up six feet in, in water depth on the edge, or whatever the case may be. But. You know, I'm hearing that I don't do really any giant stuff like i'm lucky to get out there once or twice a year giant fishing half the time i'm just going with somebody else you yep. know what i mean even though i got all the fucking gear <laughs> it's just like and that's what i hear more and more like people just resetting their anchor to make sure they're in that spot that they want to be in yep absolutely yeah um, and going early enough that you get your spot you yeah. know if, if i show up at one of the many places i really like and there's I can't get my exact number there. I'm going to the next spot. Uh, yeah, just moving I on. I drive myself crazy if I'm sitting, you know, 150 feet away to give, you know, the next guy some room. Yeah. Um, or eighth of a mile or a quarter of a mile, depending on where you're fishing. That's why I don't fish the flag anymore is because there's, <laughs> there's no rules whatsoever. Nowhere to go. <laughs> you know, Short one, ride one, from one, New Hampshire, from yeah. Massachusetts, from Maine. One guy on top of the next, and it, yep. that, that fishing drives me crazy too. So, But, no, if I can't get on exactly my number, I'll... I'll go to the next spot. Yeah. I don't think it makes a lot of difference. As long as you're in that perfect spot, you're gonna get you're gonna get looks at fish every day. Yeah. Um, but if you're if you're in 150 yards away from that spot, you might you might not see anything for the day. And it's so funny, like you wouldn't think that because of these giant creatures, and you feel like they'd be moving a lot more. Yep. So what do you think it is about these spots? Even though they're you know 100 feet away, why are they more um, prone to bite right on it? Um, a couple of things. Either bait availability. I mean, there's a spot down the bank where the where the bottom consistency goes from sandy, muddy cobble to like softball sized boulders. Yeah. Um, and the bait is completely. And you can do that on an anchor swing. You'll you'll swing onto the hard rock, or you swing back into the mud. Yeah. And you'll get herring mackerel whiting on the soft bottom and you get nothing but cod on the on the hard bottom and the fish just aren't running over that hard bottom because they don't want to eat the godfish all the time if there's herring mackerel and everything 100 yards the other side yeah and a lot of times i think sort of the general thought for a lot of people is that i'm on the edge the fish are just swimming down the edge of this bank and and feeding correct i fish it more in that uh, i want to be in a spot where the fish decide to either come up on the edge or come off the edge correct um and I, a lot of times I think they'll sit in the deep and they'll come up quick on the tide change. They'll feed up on top where the bait is and then they'll drop right back up through, through a little slot. And there's a spot down Stalag and it's like two and a half feet deeper. And it's a little channel that runs over the top of the bank. I can't tell you how many thousands of fish I've taken. Out. And it's, there's nothing to it. But that one little divot. One little change. Seems to be where they want to eat on a certain tide. Um, it's consistently worked anyway for me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, little little notches and edges, little 
you know, points, little, just that little tiny that little structure tiny. on there. You know, you got this ledge, say, on Stellwagen that's, I don't know, 15 miles long, right? Yeah. So there's a lot of real estate there. Absolutely. So you really want to narrow it down. So maybe it's like a tighter drop-off or a little point jutting out, like you said, a bottom structure change. There's something there that's going to make those fish want to eat and sing around that area. Yeah. Like, you could still probably get by catching a couple of fish up and down the Absolutely. ledge. Not a problem. Absolutely. But when you're talking about guys like you who are professionals that do this for a living. Yep, you like, got you to gotta catch one. Devil's in the details. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's it's funny. I think when I was first starting in high school, when I was first starting with giant fish, everyone told us, you want to be in 180 feet of water. So we fished in 180 or 181 feet of water yeah. for years and years and years. And now... You know, there are places on Jeffreys where I want to sit in 230, and mm -hmm. there are places on the bank where I want to sit in 100 feet of water. You know, it's not just about the edge. It's about the preferred depth for that particular spot. Yeah. Um, and there's, it, it makes a difference. Yeah, it's definitely another thing just by, you know, researching here and things. Like, every spot is almost its own little animal in terms of the bait, the like how you present it, what yep. you want to do. Like, I know guys like down at Chatham, like, drift, whereas yep. up here everyone's mostly anchored. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I've always had better luck up here anchoring than, than drifting, for sure. Yeah. Um, at least with the big fish. Well, I think here, too, there's, there's more structure. They're probably more structure-orientated. Yeah. Because yep. I know when I fish down off of Chatham, it's like it's like barren land. Yeah, it's it, weird. Yeah, it's it's really strange. It, there's just so much feed down there. It's, crazy. <laughs> it's so and, weird. And they can't resist going to that feed. Right. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's always new. When you you find a new spot and you work it for like a season or two, and you end up you end up figuring out that all right, yep, three o'clock is coming the slack tide on the back end of the slack tide. We're going to see four fish come over this one little hump. Because those four fish have been coming through, but I've been seeing them on the other tide, on the other side of the hump, and they won't eat. Yeah. You get on the other side of the little hump, and off you go. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, very often, I think it's probably the same fish. I think, you know, one school is coming through that area. Yeah. Again, again, again. You catch a couple, you educate them, and you gotta go. You gotta <laughs> go move somewhere else. Well, you know, and that's also 30, 40 years of experience of fishing in your backyard. Yes. To I, get to that level. Yeah, I've, I have spent a lot of time within 25 miles of Gloucester Harbor on, on every little hump and bump and piece of bottom trying to figure it out. Yeah. Sure. Yep. And that's like, I tell a lot of guys up around here, like even for striper fishing, when they like, oh, the bite's good in Boston, I'm going down there. Oh, the bite's good down the Cape, I'm going down there. It's yep. like, you know, learn your area, like, exceptionally well yeah i'm a yeah. firm believer that by the time you hear about a bite it's probably gone it's, yeah it's it definitely is yeah, yeah. yeah. Or, or everybody that moody cleaned it up a week exactly. ago yeah. <laughs> yeah. but it's interesting you know talking about like the little depth changes and all that like you can't just be relying on charts you must be just going going around and yep. reading bottom and yep. yeah just yep. taking your time and yep. really taking it all in right absolutely and like it, soaking in the environment a lot of times it's something you stumbled across because you marked a big pile of bait and you know oh, little dude, what's that bait doing there yep. it's really really weird and you do a couple laps around, and you're like, oh, there's a, there's a little trough right there, and that's why they're all in there, and, and it changes, you know. Yeah. But, um, yeah, it, it's a, really any fishing. It's just time for the water. You, you've mm -hmm. got to put the time in. And there. it's kind of funny how you learn stuff out of necessity, too, right? Like, I tell a lot of people, a lot of times when I find, like, a good bite, it's because the last two days have probably sucked. Yeah. You know, yep. and I'm just like, all right, just going down my checklist. Maybe they're over here, and I can try this. Yeah. And lo and behold, one day it works. Now again, another arrow in the quiver. Yeah, exactly. You know, exactly. it just keeps adding up. Yep. And they and they some of those stay consistent. Some of them disappear again on you. But um, you 
once you've racked up enough of the consistent things, you you know you can go out there and put it together. Yep, and then you get your tides, your times, your yep. time of year, your moons, whatever it is. Yep. Like that's when you start getting your information and you look for repeat patterns. Yep. I, I mean I'm I'm booking guys now for striper fishing in July and they're like, Oh I, I wanna go do X and X like we did last year. And it's like, well, okay, but we you know, we're gonna be four days different than we were last year because the moon's later and this is this tide's different and you're gonna have to come a week early. Well, oh, that's my vacation. Well, we can't, we're not gonna be fishing. If you want that, this is when you need it. That, that, that's when that spot is good and if we don't have the water for it, and it, it's not gonna happen. Yeah. Um, I mean, you can always go find a few bass on high tide, but it, it's, it's very interesting how some of these bites just get so fine-tuned to you know a 45 minute window yep um that you know they're going to both bite and be in in this location and for whatever reason that keeps happening and keeps happening a couple of years when we were in the pogie schools right fishing for bass i noticed it was it, it was at a time when fishing was overall pretty slow but at dead high tide on the dot like if high tide was 305 in the afternoon at 305 you'd be in the pogey schools you know and there were some structures that we found on where they were hanging out where yeah. we knew they were they were going to come you would see bass fly in like the hell's angels coming at you you could see them i would stand up on my bow and just see 20 bass huge bass just come in and wreak havoc for a half an hour yep and then again, the next day, that bites an hour later. Yep. Before I knew it, I was running charters till eight thirty at night, and I just wanted to go home. Yep. And then the then it flipped, and then we had that bite in the morning, yep. you know. And it was that dead high tide, forty five minute window, whenever it was, like on a certain set of not numbers because the area changed. But after like two or three days of seeing where they were, yep. you know, you got that pattern of what we were looking for. Yeah. And I actually think you came on. I was with you. The second, yeah, one of the first morning ones. Yep. You know, we, the morning. I actually saw a giant. That was the day I saw the giant too. Yeah, we yeah. saw a giant right in front of the houses of Plum Island. Came out from like, like everybody, and it was everyone's looking the other way. I was like, oh no. See that big roll of white water up there? That was just something cool a minute ago. We got a cool one on my side scan in nine feet of water. Did you really? Yeah, oh, cool. I'll have to send you the video. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. We uh, we just got we were snagging and dropping pogies like five, five, four or five years ago. Just gotten spooled or close to it, popped it off. And then we marked it on the fish finder. Like later on, we saw one in nine feet of water. And then uh, I don't know. You remember Mike Fallon? Yeah. Yeah, Mike's a good yep. buddy of mine. Yeah. And uh, he had the drone up that day, oh, and he actually cool. was working a pogie school. And he's like, yeah, I don't know, it's getting work, but I'm I'm not catching any bass. Goes home, looks at the drone footage, and there was a giant, one just giant, just pushing around. around. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, the, the bluefins don't care about water depth, that's for sure. No, they really don't, do they? No. Um, well, 15, 18 years ago, there were a bunch of guys surf casting in end of October off of Folly Point and uh, off the couple of the coves out in Rockport, and. A, Big, big body of bass pushed a whole school of stripers up against, or a big body of tuna fish pushed a whole school of stripers up against the beach. No shit. And there were bass, like, filling the tide pools as wow. they pushed this huge migrating wow. school of schoolies up. And they were throwing seaweed up on the beach and, like, right at your feet. Wow. Huge Amazing. And they were just munching on stripers? Just eating bass one after the next. That's insane. Yeah, that is awesome. <laughs> yeah. That is so cool. Yeah, I, I got lucky with Inside Three Miles last year. I was, like, 
I was yeah, I had the bars and I'm like, I'm just gonna troll around because like I don't know where they are and I want to cover a lot of ground and let's see what we can do when I got one. Nice. Yeah, I was like, this is awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so then I spent the next week out there. In the bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So. yeah. His wife was yeah. about to file for divorce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh but that's another thing that's changed. So I don't know. Did you pull a lot of bars back in the day for the footballs? Or were you mostly no. a chicken casting bait guy? Early on, like, one of my first jobs was uh, the old Fisherman Outfitter when Paul uh, Lassess owned it. I worked there one summer. And my job was to rig uh, pickled mackerel onto number 19 mail and wire oh. in <laughs> daisy chains and square bars. And literally to the tune of thousands wow. of them. So the first couple of giants we ever caught were trolling mackerel on wire. No kidding. Um, single swimmers and bars and uh, that whole thing. Um, and we only had two rods. <laughs> so putting two rods out. But um, after that, no, I, very little trolling. I, yeah. I'm not a huge trolling guy. Um, Other than slow troll at max, which I do. Jeez, do you think, uh, do you think the, that, <laughs> that those old methods of rigging up bars will ever come back? Absolutely. People are getting. You don't think people are getting too used to the easiness of a squared bar? I, people love the easiness, but a single swimming chin weighted big mackerel. Um, I mean, we used to spend what a week every spring. Derek and I just going and hydro gutting and brining big mackerel, and we'd get them in the spring. But that's when. You know, come June fifteenth, you didn't catch another mackerel till October. Dude, remember that? Uh, remember those days? It was Father's Day. After yeah. Father's Day, you couldn't get a mackerel. You never see one. Now it feels like the last couple of years. I don't know, it's just because I've been hanging around and throwing plastics and stuff. But I feel like I don't even get my first mackerel till mid June now. Yeah, a lot of times. Yeah, and and there are times when they're tricky to get these days. Yeah, uh, I mean, not impossible, but you travel them further and spend them more time for sure. Yeah, I mean, we had a lot of inshore mackerel this year too. Like we. Our first mackerel this year, we were catching literally in the mouth, in, the yeah, in like in the 15 mouth. feet yeah. of water. No kidding. Yeah, we were jigging. That was in May, too. I think. It was in May. Yeah. We were jigging spoons for stripers. We yep. were trying to try this out. Yep. And I was catching mackerel. Catching mackerel up in the river. So, like, you know, the next day on my charter, by the time we end up, like, casting sluggos and shit in the mouth, I'm just sitting there with a sabiki, and the guys who can't figure it out, here, get a mackerel. Yeah, you can feed this up with that. <laughs> But actually, the macro still at that time really weren't getting hit as well. The lures were still getting hit a little bit better. Yeah. Yeah. So. No, it... It's funny what you said, though, Chris, about, like, you know, trolling bait versus trolling bars. And what will it come back? I mean, it's tuna fishing. As soon as someone hears someone, yeah, it's no it. like everyone and their mother will be buying what they have to buy. Oh, yeah. Paul has <laughs> yeah. told, always yeah. told a great story about back when he owned Fisherman's Outfitter. Uh, the bite was in Chatham in the fall, and guys were trolling bars. Yeah. Um, and he was on the phone with his wife, who was running the shop, and from the payphone at the commercial dock as he's offloading. And yeah. there's like 40 guys standing around. And his wife's like, oh, you're killing me ordering all these different colored squid. I got like 400 purple squid here. And Paul goes, purple squid? He got one on a purple squid, too? We got ours on a purple squid. <laughs> <laughs> The way it goes. Yep. Yep. I'm sure it goes like that a lot now too. Absolutely. Yeah, the reason why I brought that up is because Dan was talking about trolling um, the bars, and they have those new side tracker style bars yep. now. So someone like me who doesn't have outriggers and I don't want to fucking deal with them. Yeah. Dude, we cut. No, it's awesome. Yeah, put plenty of fish in the water, and it's yeah, oh, yeah. great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can run something down the middle, like realistic on a twenty-one foot boat. I can I control six lines. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Awesome. 
until you hook three at the same time. Yeah, There's I know. only two yeah. of you on board. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm waiting for those days. We'll yeah. see. <laughs> Me and my father, it was July 2nd. I was working on the party boat still, so I don't know. It must have been 2008, nine. So we had a, we actually had a day off on the party boats, like on a nice weather day. I couldn't believe it. Like yeah. in the middle of the week, I was just scheduled for a day off, like 40 days in a row. So like that, let, let's go see if we can get a tuna. So we go down. We go right towards uh, Halibut Point, and sure as shit, there they are. They start jumping. And that was the first year where you go to take the spin rod, and you see what's jumping. You're like, no. Yeah, no, I don't think I'm throwing up that one. And I'll never forget it. They were just on top, but they were moving. And, like, we tried casting to them, but I'm like, dude, I don't even know if we should hook anything on this, right? So my dad's like, all right, let's troll. And, you know, that was, we didn't have outriggers, so it was the old Sluggo and X-Rap days, yeah. right? Yep. So Every time. We probably, I see this school just fucking 50 yards in front of the boat for like a half an hour. My ADD's kicking in. Like, I just, I'm like, all right, dude, this, <laughs> let's just cast. Like, what are we, what are we doing? And he's just like, just hang tight. My father just, <laughs> just doesn't want to do anything. <laughs> this wasn't a great, like, yeah. fishing epiphany. <laughs> just wait, we'll catch up to him. Well, that little school just swirled off to the starboard and he just swung the boat. Right around it. Boom. One goes off on the 50. We have one harness, so it was my turn. He caught the last one the year before. So it was the first trip of this season. So I get in the harness. He's cranking up on a, the X-Rap on a TLD 30 as fast as he can go. Boom, that one goes off. And it was just us two. Nice. So I get my drag on my TLD 30 of 150, whatever you can put it up at. Pass strike. I think I'm going to throw up. It's 100 degrees already at 8 in the morning. <laughs> and I'm just trying to get this in to help my dad out. So we get mine. It was probably about like 75. It was yeah. a solid. But we didn't have our commercial permit, so we let it go. And then he fought his for another hour. And he didn't even want He goes, I don't need the harness. I'm like, okay, yeah. dude. Yeah. Dude, we ended up at the MR marker outside oh, the Merrimack. Oh, it was oh, like no. seven miles. Yeah, we at least it brought you home. Yeah. So <laughs> we go back, and Fallon's actually on the back of the captain's lady cutting bait for the morning trip. And he goes, hey, you guys going tuna fishing? And we're like, nah, we just doubled up, dude. We're yeah, done. We're, we're all done. We're done. He's like, really? <laughs> he was so pissed he had to work. Yeah. <laughs> Yep, we fought one from the southwest corner on that uh, walk-around 42-footer. Uh, my client had his 11-year-old son, his buddy, and his 7-year-old son on board. And we'd been running and gunning, chasing fish out to the east all day. I called Derek on the radio as we're coming back in. He's like, oh, it's starting to look really good here. We haven't got one yet, but there's, we're marking real good. It's going to go. And Bob Cook was there. That was like the first year Bob was, was chartering. And... Uh, we pull in, throw mackerel over the side on the 50, and they're hooking 55 inches next to us, and we hook a legit 1,200-pounder on a 50 stand-up. Wow. And we we fought it in reverse, either in the rod holder or one of the two kids or the, the guy, Mike, in the fighting chair. From there all the way northeast to the northeast corner of the bank. Oh, my God. Wow. It was like 33 miles. And you'd back up to the thing, and its back would be out of water, the tail would be wagging. You back up close and poof, just fade off 350 yards. Or 50 inches. Did not care. Back in the drag off, cranking the preset down as far as it would go. Yeah. Sunset it again, like, let's get it or break it off. 
thing and just come up behind the boat. You back the boat right up on top, and we had we had a wreck permit on the boat, so we were trying to just get the thing close enough to cut it off. Oh, so you couldn't even keep couldn't it couldn't even the wreck keep permit. It. Oh my god! Oh, miserable. And finally, it uh, it ended up chewing through the line after nine and a half hours or whatever. Nine and a half oh, hours. Amazing. Is that the most memorable fish that you've caught? Um, that was definitely the first one. The fly was pretty memorable. So. Yeah. Derek and I were out there, we double up on the fly, and it's the hurricane's coming, or in the 19-footer. So it's getting kind of nasty. We get two pictures of me, one of which I still got hanging in my shop, holding this fish. I fire the fish back over the side. We didn't want to keep it. And it's getting, now it's like four feet and blowing 20 and raining. And we're still on the northeast corner of the bank, oh. and it's 19-footer. So we start plowing home, and then it's six-footers, and now we have to slow down, and now we're launching off the top of them, and... So the binnacle trim tab was not working. Uh, of Mo course. The motor was trimmed up a little too far. So Derek takes it out of gear. I run to the back, trim the motor down a little bit further. He starts gunning it, and an eight-footer comes over and just eats the back of the boat. We suck seawater into the bottom two cylinders through the air intake. Oh. So we're toast. And we had, a, we had the, like the first GPS from Laurent and Laurent's. And it came in a bag, like the original cell phones. It was like a 20 by 20 bag. Wow. And the whole machine, was the screen was like three <laughs> inches by three inches. <laughs> so we got, I mean, we got to call the Coast Guard. So we called Station Gloucester. They put us through Station Boston uh, on just the, the VHF. And the signal's terrible. Um, so they start having us, they go, oh, you got a GPS? What, what is your GPS coordinates? And we give them the numbers off the machine. He goes, son, that's Des Moines, Iowa. <laughs> So the thing had gotten soaked when we took the wave. Oh. It was frying itself. It couldn't bring up our signal at all. Um, so they start having us do countdowns from 100 to, to 0 yeah. over the VHF, and they're trying to triangulate our location. So they launch the 41-footer in Gloucester. It makes it to the break wall. It takes a wave over the top of the boat, of the, uh, over the top of the 41-footer. It's getting nasty now. And so they turn around, go back in, send the 47-foot rollboat out of Gloucester, it took him four and a half hours to get to us it, and couldn't find us on radar because we yeah, were so small. so small. So he's just doing this countdown thing. Luckily, the motor, the battery lasted long enough for him to, to actually see us because we were moments away from running out of juice. No shit. We had tied all the life jackets onto the igloo cooler. Like, that was our escape plan. Just to hop on the cooler. And it was, yeah. it was so steep. It's actually pretty smart. With no power that we were... We were going down the faces of the waves so fast that if you got to the bottom, you had to steer the, the motor yeah. to keep yourself going straight. And you'd never make it up the next one, but you, then you'd slog all the way back up to this one, then you'd shoot down the next one. But if you got to the bottom and you weren't steering, it'd turn you sideways. It would yeah. roll this right over. The guy pulls up next to us and goes, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> so he pulls the 47. You're like, what can't you do on the fly, yeah, bitch? Yeah, what are you doing? Freaking 19 footers, pitch black, middle of the night. Yeah. Um, they're blowing like 40, 12 footers. <clears throat> Absolutely miserable rain. And he throws a line to us and he guns the 47 footer down sea. And it snaps our boat around and we it just crushes the back corner of our skiff into the, into the cutter. He goes, itchy and scratchy to the bow. <laughs> so we bail off the skiff. They, the two guys throw us on the deck. We run up to the bow, and it was so rough that you'd come off the top of it, and our feet would be over our heads hanging onto the bow rail of a 47-footer. And we come down, smash into the deck, and get all beat up. Finally, he drops our boat behind his boat and starts, starts towing it, brings us up onto the roof. 
and we're sitting up on the roof and he goes if that thing ain't there when we get to the harbor i'm not turning around we we're like no problem no problem <laughs> he towed us in he tied us off to the harbor master's dock he was like oh, have a good night he just left us there we had to come with another boat and tow it back to manchester we came at like three o'clock in the morning though and as soon as we got home we were like we can't have anyone see our skiff tied to the harbor master's dock anymore. <laughs> yeah, no. we were gonna go get it yeah, that cost us an engine, but we caught fish on fly. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. And that was probably one of the first ones ever, right? Yeah, I mean, Al Anderson used to do them down in the mud hole and that sort of stuff on, on yep. fly rods, but little 20, 30 pounders. That, that was the first, like, legit 75-pound fish I know of on a, on a fly up here, anyway. That's North, so North cool. Carolina, they did a little bit, too. Yeah. Some of those guys were trying to set records, but... You know, what was really cool, too, during that heyday is launcher from Gloucester. And you have, like, 360 degrees of fishability. Like, even for you, like, to go to the northwest corner, if that's where the hot bite was, you know, it's, a, what, 13 miles? Yeah, it's not bad. Yeah, like, that's, what, 42 for us or 38 yeah. for us? Yeah. So I just remember those days, like, when we'd go, we'd have to wake up at 2 in the morning, get out of the river, yeah. you know, drive an hour and a half out the there dark. for first light. Yeah. Yep, yep. And uh, God, it was the best, though. It was good. It was good. Some of those jig bites on the northeast corner and northwest corner. I never got one on the jig. Oh, I mean, it was it was silly. You'd pull up, get on get on the edge, everyone would throw it over the side, and you'd watch the rods just whoop, whoop, whoop. Everyone would be tight. No oh, shit. And it's like crazy. Like, I wonder if they were around, but people just aren't doing it because they're so focused on the giant fishing right now. Like, do you feel like there could be a good jig bite of these smaller fish from what you've seen the last couple of years? I haven't been marking the small ones much the last yeah. couple of years. Um you know, there are times, usually October, you, you're marking them pretty good, and you got to weed through a dozen little ones to get your big one. But yeah, um, not not nearly as much as we used to at that point. But, gotcha. But there's no sandias left on the northern end of the bank since yeah. they put the water treatment plant in that, that wiped out the whole northern end of the bank. Is that what happened? Yeah, uh, the water treatment plant, and so they're pumping all that fresh water from Deer Island out there. Okay. It's completely changed the whole salinity or something on the northern end of the bank. Like, you never see sandias there other than super early in the spring, for like a week, the sandhills go from there, and that whole body of sandhills that used to be on the northern half of Stellwagen is now in Murray Basin. It's yeah, like, they're not on Jefferies, no, right? It's like forty miles away and eight hundred feet of water. And really, you think it's, it correlates to when that whole thing got started? It, it was exact as soon as they started pumping water out there. The following season, the sandhills disappeared. So, were the sandhills a consistent thing there always? Always, always have been. Oh, I kind of thought that was kind of like a new thing back in the day when the tuna were coming around. That's why they were there. Yeah, I mean, there that that. The sandals were always there, and they were giant yeah. sandals for you know as long as I'd been going there. Yeah, they were huge. And then they it all just vanished. It all moved way out to the east. No kidding. Yeah. Um, and that's why the fish are in Chatham. Yeah, there's no easy eels up here. Even though they don't they don't really gain any fat when they're eating eels, it's really the worst thing for them to be eating. For, yeah, but they get the volume right. Yeah, exactly. And they can they don't have to chase them around. They can just go right through the whole school and take big gulps. Yeah. In terms of quality of fish, though, you don't want you don't want eel fish. No, no. What are you looking for? Ones that are eating herring. Herring. Just, yeah. Just herring. Like I'll, I'll fish specifically for fish that are on herring. Yeah. Because uh, as a commercial guy, like it matters what type of fish you get. Yeah, what. Yeah what that fat content is, and you can target those. Oh, yeah, 4 bucks a pound on an eelfish versus 12 bucks a pound on a, on a herringfish is, is worth making a ride somewhat someplace different, different and maybe waiting an extra day to get one. Yeah. So what's your, what's your harvesting practice? Everyone fights over, you know, who does what, but how, how long are you swimming the fish for for you? Uh, I'm not. You're not? I okay. S I s tried swimming fish for a year, didn't have any different change in the price. Okay. Um, we're fighting them 45 minutes to an hour and a half is is basically where I'm at. I don't want them any sooner. I don't want them any longer. Um, I I 
get on them real quick in the center console with a rod up in the bow. So first big run, they develop so much lactic acid because they're ramming every either, so they close their mouth mm -hmm. when they go on that first run. You run the boat right up on top of them and put the put heavy heat to them right away and stop them. I think they're winded at that point and mm -hmm. they're, they're much more likely to spiral. And but they aren't burnt. They you, you know you don't give them a chance to be um, half mile away on the surface running around like crazy burning themselves out. And once you put the real heat to them with somebody on the rod that's not afraid to, to really pull, yeah, you get them pretty quick. But we're bleeding them, you know, harpoon, tail rope, bleed them, you know, raking the gills with the harpoon, slow trolling them back to the ball, sometimes longer to make sure they're completely bled out, and then just a ton of ice, um, making sure you slush them down really good. What do you, do you put them just, do you have a bag on your boat? Yep, yep, but I've got a 370 quart uh, icy tech, um, that's uh, you know topped off with fish house small ice and and, yeah. and really plugging them up really good yeah um, and that that seems to make a difference but even that that year I swam a bunch of fish it, it was more the quality of the fish to start with than it was what I was doing to it afterwards as, yeah as long as you're not leaving it out in the sun and you know the, once the fish is on deck Mike's a machine yeah um, so that thing is that thing is bled and gutted and yep. taken Wasted care of no in, in six or eight minutes it's on ice and in the dark yeah um which i, I think makes a big difference i would think so absolutely yeah. so you said you're putting a lot of heat on them what's a lot of heat drag wise uh 45 50 pounds 45 50 yeah yeah on the lighter gear we fish these days you know back when we were fishing 180 and 200 all the time you could you could go 65 pounds but yeah uh, i don't think you really need to yeah, you seem to break their will with that. Yeah, yeah. If, if you put 50 pounds on them and at the right time, and you got somebody that can keep the heat on them, yeah, um, and don't get them. And being in the center console too probably helps tire them out oh, a little bit. Absolutely. Advantage. Yeah, it's like yeah. the fish is towing a pole. Because they're pole. pulling the boat. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, you, yeah, you can put some serious heat on them that way. Now you mentioned you know you know you're fishing a lot lighter nowadays than previous years. Um, is that more so because the the equipment's better, like with the advantage of fluorocarbon and, and solid core braid as opposed to Dacron, or is it just that they're getting smarter, more leader shy? You got to scale down really they, to get that bite. There's so many boats out there now that you got to do something different. You, yeah. You gotta, I mean, we're not we're not fishing 130. I mean, we're not we're not going super late like yeah. the other guys do. Um, but you know, on 150, you can only, only so much you can do on 150. Yeah, um, they'll, they'll chafe you off, or they you know, we don't we don't break main lines hardly ever. But yeah, um, you know, a lot of chafe bites. Are you fishing circle hooks, J hooks, or just whatever? About eight years ago, I was convinced I was going. This is one of my one of those years. Yeah, I'm I'm going circle hooks this year. Everybody's catching them on circle hooks. I'm, I literally by middle of July took a handful of every circle hook that was on the boat and threw it over the side. I said, "Mike, I'm never putting another one out, <laughs> yeah. never again." Um, so all I fish is nine out live baits. So yeah, I, you know, hundred packs of one style hook, and that's it for the season. That's it, huh? Yeah, I don't care if it's an eight pound whiting or a, or a tiny herring. It's, it's getting a nine out. There you go. Um, I just. What are you using? Uh, the the. The owners of uh, Gamagatsu. Gamagatsu, Gamagatsu heavy duty nine Man, some things never change, man. Nope, uh, uh, it's been thirty years that hook. Right? No, I just remember <laughs> going to your shop and getting all the stacking up on all the live bait HDs. Yep. Yeah. Yep. It's a good hook. Put up on my crippled earrings and shit. Yep. Yep. Same thing. <laughs> Same thing. Yeah, I I can't stand circle hooks. It's really the, the wave of the future and really the way it should be done, but I it drives me nuts. 
What's the matter with the big fish? Oh, you just I, felt like they were popping off. I was pulling hooks like a madman. Come, come a little bit closer to the microphone. There you go. I was, uh, I was pulling hooks like a madman. Really? I was getting bit every single day and fighting it for an hour and then pulling a hook. Or the rod would lap over and boom, the thing would pop right back up. Now, mm. there's a lot of technique to it. The guys that are backing their drags off and letting the fish turn his head and start getting away. and The way you should really fish a circle. But I don't really always have the patience for it. No. Yeah, you just want to stick them and go. If I'm, if I'm chartering, I don't want to like have to talk the guy through, okay, now bump the drag up a little bit more. Now bump the drag up a little bit yeah. more. Yeah, yeah. Totally. I, want the, I want the rod to lap over. It, we, I mean, we lip hook. 80-something percent of the fish with it. Yeah. With live bait off the way we fish, so. Good. Um, it's not, it's, it's not a huge detriment for me, but. How about circles for stripers? Uh, find any difference? Uh, no. I, I, I find I throw hook just as many fish. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, miss a lot more with glines. Yeah. Um, but it's the way of the future. With, with the circle hooks and stuff, it's funny you mentioned with clients. I got some that never touched a rod in their life and they'll hook every single every fish. Every single one. Yep. And then I got guys that are pretty good fishermen, but my God, they can't figure it out. No. I, and it's like it's always like one or the other. Yeah. It's never like a guy misses one or two and hits everything else. Yeah. No, it's either this dude's like slamming them and this guy ain't getting shit and all his boys are on his ass this about it. This is the best a couple couple years ago, uh one of my really good friends uh, is a stand up comedian in Boston. So he brings a bunch of guys out. And these guys have never like been on the ocean. So we're we're tongue and bass. He cannot keep a hook in one to save his life. And every one of these guys is absolutely, but oh, you're the big pro. No. Something was wrong with his timing. And yep. he just, with a bait runner, like. And then you start thinking about it. Oh, yeah. screw up even more. I know he's counting one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Oh. And you're like, well, I'll try six next time. Yeah. <laughs> Count slower. <laughs> yeah. Count to six, but yeah. slower. How about this? How about I just lock it up and you put it in the rod holder, and when it laps over, you just start reeling the fish. How does that work? Dude, legitimately, though, like, I started fishing my drags with circle hooks locked up a yeah. lot more the past couple of years, yeah. and to be honest with you, I find it to be just as effective as letting it run. Rodney the rod holder fishes just fine. Yeah, they um, really do. I mean, I'd rather have the rod in the client's hands because it's more fun to feel the bite and, and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. in, if you don't have experienced people and they don't mind doing it, yeah, Rodney the rod holder all day long. Yeah, <laughs> yeah definitely. <laughs> and that was the other thing I kind of learned about, you know, when I worked on the party boats, we fished circle hooks with either hold and mackerel that we caught in the morning or whatever, clams. And they just had cheap little spinning reels, so they didn't weren't letting anything run. But I'm just like sitting there. I remember watching. I'm like, huh? Everyone says to let them run on circle hooks, but we have a pretty damn good hookup percentage for these people that have no idea what's no, going on. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. The, either so. the fish has been swimming around with it for three minutes, <sighs> or or he just eats it. <laughs> you, have, you have no idea. No, you guys don't know until you've worked on a party boat drifting the mouth of the river with thirty people on each side. And two fish get hooked up, and people don't realize they're hooked up. Yeah. It is. The whole trip, I'm untangling lines at that point. <laughs> I made it one day on the Yankee fleet. One day? One day. One day as a mate? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I think I was about 14. Got a job from Jerry Hill. He'd show up in the morning, and he's got the frozen trash barrel full of clams. Oh, the best. So hacking away with a big knife all the way out there. It was rough as a prick. It was fog, dead fog. So yep. everyone, on the boat, everyone on the boat's thrown up like yep. 15 minutes of the day. We caught like 200 <laughs> dogfish, and I'm like blow, using the deck hose, blowing puke off the boat the whole way home. Oh, it, I was like, I got back. I was like, Jerry, I'm, 
I got I got some switches. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's an incredible first trip. Yeah, that, that you checked all the boxes. It was, it, was, it, was, it was a beauty. Party boat fishing was not. My well, it's trip. funny when we worked there. Like in the springtime, you get all these kids. You know, it's like a high school, college kid. Get all these kids who are gung ho. Oh yeah, I love fishing. You're like, yeah, buddy, it really ain't what you think. Yeah, no, yeah. And they literally say, all right, we're going to take you for a ride, not to see if we like you, but. Just to see if you're okay with this, yep. you know? Yep. So, so many times, man, you're not even halfway out to Jeffrey's yet, and those kids are green, <laughs> green. And then some of them stick, and it ends up being the best gig in the world, yeah, you know? Yeah, absolutely. But it sounds like you got you got a short end of the stick on that first <laughs> that was one. terrible. It was terrible. I, didn't, I couldn't understand how anyone would want to be out there on a day like that. <laughs> we actually, Dan, you probably talked to him a little bit more than I did. One of our Miles of the Merrimack members, um earlier last year we have a private forum yep. that we talk about and he was asking about any fish jobs for his kid and a couple of us that worked on the party boats we all kind of do the miles of the merrimack thing yep. and we suggested go up there and check it out and um he came up to us at the um was it this plum island surfcaster show a couple yep. weeks ago and he was like dude my kid is obsessed he loves it he had so much fun you know he's 15 16 years old he goes, him and his buddies are sitting there, how they can figure out how to get more tips, you nice. know, how, how they can try new rigs <laughs> and all this. Already. Yeah, well, yeah, man. Good. You got to hustle on those oh, boats, yeah, man. Do. Yeah, you do. You know? Yep, $3 tips. Ugh. The worst <laughs> one, those bass trips where are only two and a half hours are the ones you do the most work for. Yeah. Because you get to re-rig all the rods for stripers for mackerel in the morning. You get to cut new bait, you know, and then... You have this hour and a half thing, man, you're just hoping you get the tide right because you can't really do anything else other than drift, you know? So it's just like, all right, you know, if we got two keepers, what a day. Yeah. But everyone pays you for what you cut, right? Exactly. So we do these trips and we make like five dollars a tip. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at a buck fifty an hour. Yeah, yeah, at a buck fifty an hour, pretty much. <laughs> but the flounder trips are killer. Yeah. The flounder trips. Man, I haven't caught a flounder in so long. Yeah, they still out there? I haven't even... Two springs ago, there's two charter guys out of Beverly and me. Went on One of the guys out of Beverly was like mid-May, raining, blowing 30. We were like, ah, forget it. Let's let's go flounder fishing for the day. Yeah. I should have known. These guys both show up with custom flounder rods they've had made. Like, and they've, got, <laughs> and they've got three of them that match with abs oh, on them. And stuff. <laughs> you guys take this flounder thing pretty seriously. Flounder pounder, like, baby. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, we went a couple of secret spots over there on that side and just hammered flounder for the day. That was nice. It was a hoot. Yeah, it was, it's so it was fun. so much fun. I know. I uh, I just haven't done it in so long. I don't you know, think I've ever done it on my own boat. I'm do it this year. Yeah. I want a different fish. And they're delicious. Yeah, they're so good. They're so good. Let's go. Let's try to get an early trip in uh, before things Remember get the joke used to be? You start to fillet them. You turn around. You turn back. The fish is just gone. Like, way to go. <laughs> it's in the water. Well, dude, the one, going back to the party boat fishing, right? So, like, we used to fish just outside the mouth of the river for them. And, like, it'd be like, all right, guys, time to go in. And it'd be hot and heavy. Like, on a weekend, you'd have 45 people on the boat. And everyone would limit out. Yeah. And you'd have... 12 minutes to cut all the fish on the way. Yeah, <laughs> and flounder. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're flounder. They're not real speed demons to yeah, cut. Yeah. But, man, those are those are the best. I think we literally caught them all. <laughs> we really hammered that, that area. That spot. Yeah. <laughs> um, we're getting a few fluke kicking around, though, yeah. more so than past years. I mean, I always know there's a little subset of them, but yeah. Yeah, I've gotten quite a few. You know, Fallon got a couple last year. Have you gotten one? No, no. I got a couple. I had a guy throw a huge knot fishing the front of the beach in his fly line. 
Yeah. It was we were just drifting down the beach trying to untangle this knot and bing, bing, bing. It's, Lot line starts jumping as my in my hand as I'm untangling. It's like a four pound fluke. No shit. That was a beauty. Dude, yeah, I'll take them. That's the awesome. Yep. I'll take them to tog. I just want to get out there and try it. That's another one. They're around. Oh yeah. What about oh well, we got somebody we won't mention his name. Hellbent, absolutely hellbent to go on offshore, out from Newburyport. Not going to say where. Well, I'm not really sure he really knows anyway. Dying to get a swordfish. Wants a swordfish. I uh, there's a charter captain out of Gloucester, uh, who shall remain nameless, so his spot doesn't get taken. But he's hooked three in the past ten years, only in this one spot. No shit. Yep. And he's landed one, and he's gotten a look at the other two. Yeah. Um, I had a guy catch like a 450 pounder next to me in Ipswich Bay. Um, giant fishing, probably 10, 10, 12 years ago. I remember seeing the post, I think. It was unreal. Like, oh, wasn't that it, after like a big storm or something? It something was. Something changed? It yeah. was. Yeah. Um, we were all fishing up in the bay. and It's amazing how stories like that travel, even see, I knew you about. You see his rod lap over. Yeah, and, a decade ago. Yeah. He's, you know, a guy gets off the ball, he starts backing down, and something jumps out of the water behind the boat. We were like, jumped at everything. the hell was that? <laughs> yeah, huge sword. Like 450 sword. Wow. Well, I know the whale watch boats because we you know we used to work on the party boats, yep. so they let us know. Like they see one or two sunbathing, like right in Jeffries or right on the bay every oh, yeah. year. Yep. And I don't know this because this was before my time, before I started saltwater fishing. But I heard there used to be a really big harpoon sword fishery around Cape Ann. Is that true? More south of the vineyard. More south of the vineyard. There was okay. A, a huge surf, surface harpoon fishery south yeah. of the vineyard early on. No shit. Uh, but no, I'm, I'm sure they did it up here as well. Yeah. Uh, that's crazy. So, what do you think? You think he's you think he's got the chance? He's a very good fisherman. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you put your time in, you're gonna get it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they're they're here. Uh, the problem is, I I don't think they like coming over the top of George's and and into the inside stuff quite as much. Yeah. But as we get more and more of those big um, oligo squid in here, yeah, they're gonna they're gonna show up more and more for sure. I tell you one thing, like I don't know if you care about it, but the shark fishing's been unreal in terms oh, of like the makos and pressures. Yep. The past and few years, huge threshers. Huge. Yeah. Do you think they're gonna open up Mako again next year? No, I don't. No I way. Do. They're never gonna open anything like that. I feel again. like once they get it, it's gone. That's, right? That, yeah. That seems to be par for the course. Yeah. yeah. Um, no, I killed one probably ten years ago um, when it was three a day giants, and we had just caught two. We had two hanging, fighting a third one. Mako came up while we were fighting the third one. Oh. Pitched a bait to the Mako. Got the Mako too. So we had three three giants. They were all like eighty five inches, and then had like a like a two hundred and fifty pound Mako to boot. It was a it was a hell of a day. That's a fucking season for most people. <laughs> it was awesome. We uh, do you want to tell yeah. the story of ours? Chris and I and my father in law had just an amazing amazing experience. We hooked up, and it was probably a seventy seventy inch fish tuna and. Uh, we don't, won't know ever how long it was because it got I'd say, I'd say it was probably high 50s. Yeah. I would say like a, I said 63 inches. Yeah, Who probably knows? somewhere. We only got two thirds of it. A Mako yeah. literally ate Came the back up, of took it. took the tail right and off. And then it. we caught the Mako. Oh, nice. Yeah, but we couldn't kill the Mako. But we could have killed <laughs> yeah. it like six times. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I'm reeling yeah. in the tune. I'm like, I don't know, man. This feels fucking weird. It's just and a then, huge cloud. And then all of a sudden, I just see this cloud of red. I'm like, oh, yeah. no. So I'm cranking up. And I'm like, Dan, get the gaff. There's a Mako underneath it. And he gaffs the tuna. And as he pulls it up, the Mako just comes out like, oh, right like out of a movie, dude. That's awesome. So. I went back down. 
I'm like, shit. I'm like, of course, all my like pre-made shark leaders and everything's not yeah. on the boat. Yeah. So I go underneath, I get a snippet of wire. I rigged up a haywire tris. I just made it. Like I usually do like a long, like um wind on leader of like four hundred pounds yeah. for like a short bite. I'm like, nope, I'll just go like ten feet of wire. That's all we got. Pitched it back there. His his father-in-law's cutting little pieces of the tuna and flicking it out. <laughs> We're dumping blood over the side. And this thing was just going around, and it wouldn't bite anything. Chunks yep. of tuna, whatever. And yep. then I made, after like 10 minutes, I'm like, let's try this. Did a little something. Threw it in the water. Thing went, whoop, came right up. We were tight. We got a jump out of it. I've never had one jump. I've <laughs> yeah, like eight or nine. Awesome. But yeah. the jump was so sick. It was, it was actually funny, though, because like, for at first it was like a dink, right? There was like Robotron was here, and he was just like taking, eating what he wanted, and then all of a sudden it turned on, and he started running like a banshee. Yeah. And then he's out probably a hundred yards away from the boat, maybe even more, and he's jumping like like an animal. And then you finally get him in, and it was almost like when we cut him off, he was like docile, just like swimming. Dude, he like, just sat there. Yeah. He didn't do anything. Yeah. Like, what is going on? This is the weirdest fish I've ever caught. Yeah. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. It was really cool. That whole time we were, like, feeding him and, like, trying to get him to bite, this fucking thing, Nat, it was going by the side. It was circling the boat. But as it was going, I'll never forget it was tilting its body. To look at you. And his eyes were matching my eyes. Like, he knew something was up. And I was like, well, you're going to eat it? You want to fuck around and find out? (laughs) I I got one like that with a white shark. So uh, this was one of the few times we were trolling squid bars. Down the bank, uh, client of mine, Ron Butler. You were watching the video earlier, rolling that one, that 700-pounder over the side. Yeah, of the Nat walked in on me watching YouTube videos of him. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, that same guy that caught that 700-pounder stand-up, um, he was with me, and we had Mary Lee, which O-Search has now tagged, this huge white yep. shirt. So we, was that well, the first one? They think it was, was one, it was one, one of the, of the early first ones. ones but yeah. She had a big chunk out of the top of her dorsal fin, is, is how we knew it. Uh-huh. So we hook a fish, troll, and he's reeling the thing in. We're going to let it go. And I got the top end of the squid rig in my hand. And you still got all those squid in the water. And I'm like pulling the squid rig over the top of my back, trying to lead her. This, this, it was like a 65 inch fish. And here she is. She, this white shark comes up, and she's like 10, 12 feet from the boat. And she's right behind this tuna fish. The boat's still in gear. And the tuna's just swimming, and I'm pulling on it. And I was like, guys, get, it, get your camera. He's going he's gonna to eat this thing. He's going to eat it. Doesn't eat it. Doesn't eat it. Doesn't eat it. Like five, six, seven minutes. He's just swimming along. Tuna fish is just paddling on the leader, and this white shark is just nose right to the tail of this thing with his back out of water. No we were freaking out. So <laughs> then I'm like, finally she, she kind of gets a little little skittish and kind of comes over towards the boat and goes back towards the boat. So I just take the throttles and just, and she fades off. I'm like, all right, now I gotta hand line this friggin' tuna fish in and like pop the hook out of its mouth. I'm just waiting for a wall of teeth. Yeah, no, yeah, seriously. Never, yeah. never saw it again. Never took a shot oh, at the shit. fish. Never did it. I don't know if it was because all the squid were in the water or because, you know, the way we were revving the engines and stuff that yeah. scared away. But yeah, we had like a 16 foot white shark follow one right down the boat. <sighs> wow. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Did you, a few years ago, did you catch a Mako inside? Mm hmm. Oh, yeah. I think that was the same one, the same year. It was about a week, week or two after I had an encounter with him. Yep. I had a, so in in two days. One was August 9th. I only know that because it's the kid's birthday that comes out with me every year. And so the, the other one might have been like August 6th. Yep. We were trolling real tight to the beach, trolling pogies, and we had a good-sized striper on one day and a fucking white shark 
just came right behind the boat. Uh, everyone was just like, oh, my God. That, like nine, <laughs> nine, ten footer. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he was there for all, all, all He was there summer. for a while. Yep. He was there for a while. He was well-trained. But then, that three days later, whatever it was, same, almost the exact same numbers, Nat. Yep. I look over, and my pogey, we were fishing real tight. My pogey's up on the beach. I'm like, oh, something's chasing it. And then I see this fin. I'm like, oh, God, is that great white? And I actually had a shock rod, like, ready to go. Yep. But, of course, it ate that one, and that was a mako. It nice. wasn't the great white. It was up on the beach. So we fought him for a good, like, 20 minutes on bass gear nice. before he kind of rolled over. And it was about the same. It was probably a little, it was smaller than the white. Yeah. And, um... Then an hour later, we just see the fin come. I don't know if it was a different one, but another one. We pulled around, and we had the shark gear, and we were tossing anything we could at it, and it just didn't want anything. And then I think I saw on Instagram a few weeks later, you got one. You had a picture of the Mako inside. Yeah, got him. So um, congratulations. <laughs> That's awesome. That white shark, he had me dialed in. Like I, For one little spot there, I fish it on the same tide every, every single day. I would come off plane, and I'd be idling towards the beach, and then you look over, and the thing would be six feet off the side of the boat, swimming along, looking at you. No shit. And he would follow me all the way to the beach, and I'd put two mackerel out, and he'd drop back, and he'd be, if you got up on the top of the roof and looked way back, you could see him. He'd be like 150 yards behind you. And he'd wait for you to hook a bass, and he'd eat it. He'd wait for you to hook a bass, and he'd eat it. He'd wait wow, for no and kidding. And he was good for like three or four bass, and then he'd leave you alone. The rest of the day, he'd just disappear. No shit. But that thing, would you'd come off playing, you'd be like, hey, everybody want to see a white shark? And <laughs> right? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, he's right there. He's <laughs> right off the side of the boat looking at us. Did I ever tell you this story? That's funny that they're bright like that, though, you know? Oh, this, oh thing, yeah. This thing absolutely had me dialed. Yeah. Yeah. He was like, I want to follow this boat. Yep. <laughs> Instant get my three bass for the day. And you probably knew it was you, too, right? Probably sound of, sound yeah, of the, the sound, boat. Same yeah. spot, same tide. Yeah. Yep. yep. He's like, guys, here's what's happened. This guy's coming in with this boat, and he's catching bass. we got to get on him. Yep. Yep. <laughs> the first shark I ever saw on the water was actually, we were in my dad's old boat. So this was like in 1987. Well-craft, well-craft coastal, like, walk-around boat, you know, typical first family boat, Yep. you know? And uh, I think we were blue fishing, or we were going down the beach to start blue fishing because we were underway. And I'm just sitting, like, in the little side chair. I must have been 9 or 10, probably, when we had that boat. And I look down right in the wash on the side of the boat, and I weren't playing. I see a shark fin come up. I'm like, dude, Dad, <laughs> fucking shark fin. He's like, What? He's like, don't do that. You're scary. What do you mean? We're looking around. He's like, you're out of your fucking mind, kid. So we get back up on plane again. I'm like, now I'm in tent. And I look down. I'm like, dude, oh, my God, it's right there. <laughs> and he stops the boat. He's like, what are you? Are you out of your mind? And then about 50 yards behind the boat, we saw the fin kind of like just going around. And he goes, you know, we had no idea. This is our second year with the boat. He gets on the wheel and guns towards him. I'm like, what are you doing? He goes, we're going to catch that motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, uh, my dad and his buddy Charlie have been fishing together for 60 years now. Um, wow. His best buddy that he fishes with. And Charlie, bad, way back in the day, had an old 23 Seacraft out of Manchester. And they would troll bunker spoons on wire on the bank for 50-pound bass. No that was, shit. That was their, their thing. Um, and there was like a certain three weeks when they'd go do it. And always catch 50s. And uh, one day they're out there trolling, and this, uh, I, I don't know what kind of shark it was, but it came up and it ate the propeller off the boat. 
literally as they're trolling, right off of it. this flashing propeller like a like a spoon came up and went whoop and literally broke the lower unit enough that it got the freaking propeller off the back of the boat. Oh and my! They were stuck on Stell wagon for the rest God. of the day until they got towed in. <laughs> That's wild. That is amazing. That's absolutely wild. Jesus Christ, your father and his buddy, 60 years fishing together. Imagine years. the knowledge that's in their heads. Oh, oh he still, he drives me freaking nuts. <laughs> hey, uh, Charlie and I are going in the morning. What have you been doing? Well, Dad, I'm going here. I got my macro here. I'm going here. We're doing this. And that's what we're doing. Oh, that's great. That's great. I think, I think you'll see me out there in the morning. That'll be, that'll be fantastic. All right, great, Dad. Don't see you there. Just, you know, kind of sneak in. Don't yeah. get so close so we don't look like a group of boats on its feet or anything. Can we, oh, yeah, yeah, that's perfect. And he calls me at like nine o'clock in the morning. Hey, how's it going? I was like, we're slaughtering them. Where are you? Ah, oh, we decided to fish the inside of the Anasquam today. It's a little breezy. It's like three knots of breeze. <laughs> They're both in their 80s. So, like, I think half the fun is just getting off the dock and drinking. Yeah. I, think, I think your dad and my dad are going to hang out. Yeah. Dude, my dad's so bad, right? Sorry, dad. I love you to death. <laughs> My regular customers, my phone will ring like at 8.15 in the morning, and they'll just go, how's the seas? Before I even answer it. Hey, Chris, and I just hold it up. Hey, hey, how's, how's the seas? Oh, yeah. That's how's the good. fishing? Dude, I told you, we're hammering it. Why weren't you out here this morning? Ah, yeah. oh, you know, I got fucking yard work to do. Yeah. I'm like, you're a teacher. Do it tomorrow. <laughs> it is funny, though, when he does end up showing up, and then, like, the bite's gone. I suck. I'm selling my boat. Get <laughs> all the fish away. Oh, that's funny. No, but that's right. That's so funny. It's like, he'll call me the night before. What are you doing tomorrow? I'll, like, give him kind of the idea, you know? And, yeah, so many times, like 8.30, I get that phone call. Yeah. How is it out there? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm, just, I'm just leaving the dock yeah. now. No, no, oh, I think uh, we got to run an errand, and then, you know, your mother's got to walk the dog. We'll come down, like, at, like, 1 or 2. I'm like, great, I'll be off the water. Yeah. Enjoy that dead low tide. Going back, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. But it's too funny. That's great, though. I mean, I can't, I can't imagine 60 years of fishing with somebody on a, on a weekly basis. I'll tell you what, though, like, I love the times I do get to go out and fish with my dad oh, now. Yeah. You know, Absolutely. we don't get them often yeah. too much no. you know we fish side by side more than we fish together it's uh yeah it's uh, it's kind of sad yeah actually i think i think my father and i were pretty good handling each other on the boats this year you were out on most of them we yeah, got out together except for the one day we hooked up to him yeah well i was a little <laughs> moody that day <laughs> That was one of those, yeah. you know, you do a string of double sixes yeah. for, and then these guys fucking talk me out to go out to Southern Jeffries and beautiful day until you get to Southern Jeffries. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, it was that southwest wind and it was, yeah. No, it shifted southeast, it shifted yeah. hard and it was blowing. And uh, yeah, right when we're like, all right, we got to get this five more minutes, then we got to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. 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 Always. Lost it in, a, in gear that we couldn't even see. We couldn't even spin out of it, man. Like we had it like, off the starboard corner, and we couldn't even turn the boat around into the waves. It was so bad. Yeah. You know, it, it was really rough. And then that ride home was terrible. And I wasn't mad at him. I didn't argue with him. You were mad at him. the situation. I was very mad at the situation. I just thought it was funny. Here we are in a 24-foot 24, 24 mod V, and the waves are like four-footers at this point, and they're really tied together, and Chris is just going... 30 miles an hour. <laughs> I was like, I just wanted to go home. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, going home. Like, just, you guys are going to eat him. I'm so mad right now. Why did I do this? Yeah. I got week tomorrow, Saturday. Yeah. I got to deal with Saturday crowd with this attitude right yeah. now. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah, they get the bow down nice, though. Got nice and wet. <laughs> yeah, we made it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And it's a story. Absolutely. Oh, well, it's great. 
Yeah, I remember just like back in the day, my father and I just used to argue about the dumbest shit. <laughs> like, how, you know what I mean? Why are you using a two ounce? Why, why don't you mind your business? What are you using? You ain't catching shit. <laughs> I, think, I think that was like, you know how all young men feel like they have to finally prove themselves yeah. to yeah. their father? We had our big blowout out in the Essex River in a skiff, and I wanted to fish one rock pile, and he wanted to fish another rock pile, and I told him he was stupid. And he, he told me I was stupid, we went at it for like 45 minutes about everything I had ever done wrong in my entire life and went home. So did you guys pick a pile the first time? No, I, think, I, think, I don't think we went home. I think, it, I yeah. think that was the end of the day. I think there comes a time in every young man's life where he just learns to shut up and do what he's told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Exactly. Unfortunately, yeah. it's later rather than sooner, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's funny. That's awesome. Johnny V loves trolling, though. He loves driving the boat and just trolling around. It's he like does. his favorite thing. Yeah. He's in his element. There's nothing wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. I took my dad tuna fishing once. Caught one. He was like, meh, okay, that's it. I'm done. That's too much work. I'm never going again. Wants <laughs> <laughs> no part of it. striper fishing his whole life. Oh, man, that must be, um, it must be a challenge running charters for giants because that's a long day. Especially with somebody you don't know, oh, yeah. and their hopes are high, and they traveled yeah. from they flew in from Texas, Texas for three days, and they got a hotel booked. And, yeah, you know, putting it, three days back to back, and it's the middle of July, and it's absolutely flat, oil slick calm. Yep. I mean, there is nothing to do, and you know, yep. We didn't get bit on that tide change, and now we're sitting. We got six hours before yep. we read our next fish on the screen. You know, oh. It's hard. And you just got to keep engaging. Yeah, like, exactly. And like you said, they got it for three days. Yeah, and it's like, shit, what am I going to talk about tomorrow? No, right. yeah. I don't, that's why I don't do, I can't do it. Uh, no, it's, it it's hard. To go from like the all the action of stripers yeah. and everything. Yeah. Or to even like, running, gunning small to Yeah. At least you're driving around. At least around, you're driving around. Stuff yeah. Casting occasionally, drinking yeah. occasionally, doing something. How many times do you get out there, set anchor, everything perfect, it's an hour, and they're like, so Cap, is there any other spots you'd like to try? Like, can, we, can we get a haddock while we're here? It's like, nope, nope, nope. We already got our bait. I'm not even going to let you jig the bottom of the speaking yep. head anymore. Like, nope, done. What we are doing is sitting here. Have another water. Yep. And, uh, <laughs> Stay hydrated. I promise you we are going to mark three fish at 2.15 this afternoon. I'm sorry that it's 9 a.m. Yeah. But, but we had to get our bait. <laughs> we had to get our bait in the dark. This is, this is the best I got for you today. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Hope you didn't forget your sunscreen. Mm. <laughs> Which they do all the time. Yeah. Yeah, it's October. Hey, Cap, on you a got any sunscreen? Yeah. It's showing up in loafers and a pair of shorts, and it's just... Yeah. You're like, what the hell's going on? Somebody whips out a banana. No, You're yeah. like, Jesus Christ. I, I, I actually proved the banana thing, and that was one of the years that we were trolling squid bars on the northern end of the bank, and it was absolutely lights up. It was 5.15, 5.30, 5.45. Cut your three fish. You go home. And it was every single day. It was a light thing more than a tide thing. It didn't adjust day to day to day. Yeah. And this has been going on for three weeks. Like, you get go out, troll up your three fish. You're trolling this way in the morning. Then you troll back over the same spot. You catch another one. Then you troll back over the same spot. You catch your third one. That's over. I go over it the first time, 5 o'clock, 5.10, 5.15. We should have had a bite right there. We should have had a bite right there. Come around come back around because it's going to be the 5.30 bite, second opportunity of the day, troll over the thing. No bite, no bite, no bite. Jesus, what, did you guys bring bananas? And the guy goes, yeah, I got a whole bunch. <laughs> it's like, he brought a whole bunch of bananas on my boat. He's like, absolutely. So then it's, 
it's eight minutes <laughs> of telling the story of why you don't yeah. put bananas on the boat, right? And the whole time he's breaking one off the bunch and throwing it over the side. Yeah. Breaking one off the bunch and throwing it over the side. Totally turned into this whole thing. Ah, oh, yeah. Last banana cap. And literally, I've got a black squid rig four feet off the transom, right, right off the rod tip, and they, they were crushing it. He throws the last banana. It lands. It floats within two feet of the stinger on the on the black bar that's at the back of the thing. And this fish just goes, boom, <laughs> absolutely <laughs> smokes a spin bar. I was like, see you, motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. I told you, we're down to one bite here. And I told you to get rid of those friggin' bananas. The guy was like, oh, my God. <laughs> Dude, I got like seven or eight stories, just not as cool with tuna. But, yeah, same thing, man. It's bad luck. We were um, we were just bass fishing one day, you know, spot lock, throwing liveys out, right? And we just start hammering fish and, like, it's going to get better. Like, I know <laughs> yeah. it's going to get even better. And all of a sudden, one of the guys just stops for a minute and whips out a banana. I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Get that fucking thing off the boat. Yeah. And he's like, no, man. Like, one of those. He's like, no, banana. it's my banana. Like, right. we're like starting to fight me. I'm like, I'm not joking, dude. Get that thing off the boat. We didn't catch a fish. for Like, he ate a banana. Fucking pulls out time. another one. Right? <laughs> I'm like, dude, what are you doing? His buddies are starting busting his balls. Yeah. So he finishes his banana. I'm like, another five minutes. I'm just sitting here like 15 minutes now, not catching anything. Yeah. And I'm like, the fuck? Like, I know this bite's going to turn on. And then his buddies are busting his balls. They're like, did you finish your bananas, man? And he's like, yeah. And I'm like, I look down in the trash. And there's the banana peels. I go, dude, all of it off the boat. And I threw it. That thing hits the water. Boom, boom, double hookup. Throw the pitch back. Boom, 40-incher. Yep. And he's just... He didn't even move. He just looked at me and he's like, I'm so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. I'm like, dude, no bananas on the boat. You know why there's no banana in the Fruit of the Loom logo? Ralph Ralph Delph apparently made the owner, CEO of Fruit of the Loom, remove the banana from the original logo because he didn't want bananas in people's underwear. On the <laughs> yeah. Boat. yeah. Yep. Uh, that's awesome. We, uh, <clears throat> so when I was a few years ago, I was teaching. It's always like a big joke because all the other teachers tell the kids too, like, don't eat a banana around Mr. V. So they have until to eat a banana in my room. It's after Halloween and then tax day. Yeah. Like that's it. right now, April 1st. Yeah. They, right now. Then you got to start weaning No bananas. So when they, they, I have kids like, I'll say, nope. And they stand out in the hallway now <laughs> and eat the banana. I'm yep. not, this is true. Oh, yeah. So one day I had just gotten my new boat, the, the Seahawks, just got it put it in the water, ready to go. We've done a couple trips. It was Memorial Day weekend coming up. I had the full day, a couple charters. I took Memorial Day off to really rip it and have fun. <laughs> and I come back to from lunch on Friday, and there's a banana on my desk with a note, have fun this weekend. Oh, you're kidding From me. one of my students, right? <laughs> Dan was on that trip that Monday on Memorial Day. What happened? Wait, was I? I don't. That was the trip. The uh, the gas gauge was. Oh broken. yeah, the gas oh, gauge. Yeah. Well, it wasn't calibrated because it was yeah. a digital one, yeah. so I didn't know. No. And it said it was half full. It's a brand new boat, yeah. and we're buzzing around, just having a blast, and all of a sudden dead in the water. And I went back to school, and I was like, "Who put that damn banana on the boat? <laughs> Who put?" You know, yep. and they're all laughing. They're like, "Why did something no, happen?" No. I'm like, "Yeah, my boat broke down. My yeah. brand new boat brand broke new down. Boat. Yeah. Thanks, guys." Yeah. And they didn't believe me. I'm like, nope, you can't have the bananas, dude. Donezo. <laughs> that story is awesome, though. Chris just got this brand new boat. It feels like you're riding on rails, you know? It's just so nice, the ride. He's like smiling. Memorial Day, flags, music, CCR blasted. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> I hope that's not my new motor. Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Oh, that's funny. Pete yeah. Murray saved the day. He, he was did. a little shuttle bus getting us back and forth. So nice. Yeah, yeah. Fuck bananas. No, I mean, no <laughs> banana chips, no banana muffins, no banana bread, no banana boat sunscreen. No, no, absolutely no, not. No, I, I definitely removed all of those. Copper tone. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Yep, maybe some wine tropic. Who knows? Panama Jack. No. Anything. Do you have any good luck fruits that you bring aboard? No. Uh, peanuts. Peanuts are usually good. Peanuts. And there was a run in the late '80s, early '90s where I wouldn't leave the dock to go giant fishing without Parmesan goldfish. No oh, shit. Okay. That's very specific. Several years worth of wow. Could, wouldn't leave it up. Was this one of those goldfish. tricks? You get some of the some of the stuff on your fingers and it rubs the herring. <laughs> you were, yeah. you were like chunking it. at the time. Yeah. Was, I don't know what it was. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, if if we had the Parmesan goldfish, we caught a fish. Yeah, that's how I ended up with the name Night Heron. Is uh, there was a Night Heron in Manchester, and if we saw the Night Heron on our way out fishing. We caught one every single time for three seasons running. <laughs> oh, shit. If we saw that bird, we knew we were getting tight. It didn't even matter where we went. Just go out, throw a hook in the water, you're going to catch a giant. No kidding, yeah. huh? And I always said, if I, ne my next big boat, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll name it Night Heron. Just keep that bird with me. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to add, that was one of my questions tonight. Where did the name Night Heron come from? That's, That's a, a really cool story. That's a good luck bird. No shit. Yeah. Years, years and years. And so everyone's on full my night heron patrol every day when you're leaving the dock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Looking for the thing. But I got him. I got him. There he is. <laughs> it's going to work today, boys. Yep. <laughs> so we talked about your most memorable fish. What's the heaviest fish you've ever weighed? Uh, I had one probably 1080, 1090. I dressed 840-something. Uh, I had oh. one in 2018 that was... Only 114 inches dressed 747. Wow! Um, so that was probably a great. Wow! Yeah, it was a it was a most oh, fatty, uh, totally different looking fish too, like one of those giant Canadian fish. Just yep. happened to show up inshore. Um, but yeah, I think that I think that 1080 was as big. I, I don't think I've broken 11. A lot of nines. Yeah, I'm awesome. not sure a lot of people have. Man, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. I mean, anything over seven. Grander. Yeah. Have you ever done any trips up to like PEI? Have you? No, been up never have. No, never have. Um, and all the all the videos come out of there just hand feeding them in the chum looks <laughs> so entertaining. Yeah, right. Uh, so speaking of chum, no one does that anymore. I feel like right. That's kind up, of a lost art. We all gave it up when the dogs showed up. Was that when the when the uh, dog yeah. fish the, situation? The, when they when they stopped the commercial fishing for dogs, um, for those couple of years there, there was this panic that the dogfish were endangered because they didn't catch any males and the two toes they made. You know. Um, they shut down the whole commercial dog fishery, and, yeah. and you couldn't you could walk on the things. Yeah. I, I remember green stick fishing in, on Jeffrey's one time when those dogs were so thick, and we were snagging dogfish on the green stick. No You'd way. You'd look back, and there'd just be a backhooked dog flopping on the green. Yeah. I mean, they were so thick, you were snagging them on the wow. like, on squid that were only in the water half the time. So, really? for the people that are listening right now, might not know what green stick fishing is. Could you give us a little explanation for uh, the people? Like a thing, picture a giant outrigger off the top of the boat, and then you've got a rod line that runs up, or a hydraulic bandit reel or however you end up doing it that runs up goes off of a breakaway piece of hundred pound off the top of the green stick this giant outrigger then back to something that's dragging in the water the bird typically with a polyball behind it so you can recover it if you break the main line and off of that angle that's going back you have long line clips with individual squid hanging off them and the whole trick is getting them to kind of swim for a second and then jump out of the water and swim for a second and jump out of the water 
And when you see fish eat it, it's... it's it must be absolutely epic. Absolutely insane. Now, I've only seen something actually eat one a couple of times. <laughs> yeah, I was just going to say, how prevalent was this green stick fishery? Uh, up here in the Northeast, everyone thought it was going to be hot because it took off in the canyons in North Carolina. Yeah, North Carolina, right? And I don't know why the giants up here don't seem to respond to it as much, but it's funny. You think about, like, white-sided dolphins. Almost never do you fish on dolphins up here particularly to catch giants. Yeah. Sometimes they're in the same area because of bait, but you're not you're not fishing on a school of giants and a school of white sides working together, ever. Yeah. Um, southeast of the Cape, totally different. Um, you know, the guys will actually track down dolphins and, and fish on them, same way they do in the canyons and everything else. I feel like anything that comes north of the Cape just acts completely different than everywhere else in the world. And yeah. then Cape Ann's the other barrier. Yeah. I feel like your fishery down off of Gloucester is like a lot different than mine out of the Merrimack. Absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Yep. Our, our bass fishery is very different down there. Like, even because I switch back and forth between the two sides. I The south side, I feel like I'm fishing resident fish that are doing the same thing every day. Yeah. And the north side, I'm... I'm Maybe it's the way I target fish, but I'm tar targeting moving schools of migrating fish. Yeah, typically. Um, it, yeah, it's just a, it's a way different sort of fishery. It the, really is the rock versus the sand, um, but both are good. Both both could be really good. Yeah, they're just different. Yeah, yeah. I'm not saying one's either worse or better. It's just totally no. different fisheries. No, but I, I like I, we don't have resident fish in the rocks like at the rate that you do. No, not at all. Know? Not at all. I mean, I, I there are holes that for. 25 years now, I, I know if I go to that hole, I can throw a fly, a sluggo, a soft plastic, a mackerel in there and catch a fish. I mean, yeah. there's, there's like, that group of fish is always in that hole. And, yeah. and you watch it, you watch them grow from little ones to big ones, and then they go off and do something else, and a new body of little ones yeah. takes right over in, in the same exact spot. Yeah. Um, some of that water is just, is just so good and so productive. But then, you know, up, up on the sand, if you went to the same exact spot every single day, I think half the time they'd be there, half the time they wouldn't. It's, and then sometimes, too, like even when I'm fishing on the beach, it's like, well, is this the year or the week they're going to be in five feet of water? Or are they going to be in or three? 12? Are yeah. they going to be in 30 the, today? Right. Oh, should I go to the three-mile line? Are they out there? Right. And those are all the different factors. The more you fish it, you at least can get some ideas of where to start. Yeah. But like you said, it seems like those fish are just migrating schools. Yep. And finding that school is, is yep. the key to that. Yeah. Anytime that, you know, on an incoming tide, for example, in a couple of spots I fish, the fish are always moving north to south on the yep. incoming. And then they, they don't show there on the, on the outgoing tide. They, they move to a different, a different area and go the other way. But you know that if it's incoming tide and it's, you know, X time of day, those fish are all going to be, every single one of them is moving north to south. And you can just kind of peck at them like tarpon and work your way up the beach. Yeah. Um, and that, that's been going for 10, 15 years now. That, that, those bodies migrating fish seem to do that exact thing every year, yeah. regardless of size. Yeah, and I agree. And, like, that's just coming, like, I don't know, say, like, you know, we do a lot of slow trolling baits and stuff like that. And you'll see it, like, on your fish finder if you're marking your spots, like, just throughout the day, throughout the tide. You find that kind of that one little fault line that they're on yep. and kind of hang on that and find the the better structure upon it and hammer that. Yep. But you'll see that movement linearly down the beach. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's a really cool, really cool fish. I love the beachfront fishing, to be honest with you. It is. Like, because you never know what you're really going to get into. Yeah. Like, are you going to pull in a million schoolies and some slots? Are you going to get into a, a six slot bite? Or are you going to find that fucking school of jumbos? Yeah. Yep. You know, so it's always interesting. Yeah, I like yeah, I like the visual aspect up there sometimes yeah. too. You know, when I'm 
fish in deep water, fish in the rocks all the time. It, it's nice to break it up and go up there and actually see the fish mm -hmm. going. Yeah, I like when I see your boat kicking around because I think I'm doing <laughs> something somewhat right. One of the first charters I ever took down to the southern end of the island, I remember it was like the first year mackerel didn't really come in until super late. And I went down to, I went, and the stripers in the Merrimack haven't really turned on yet. Like there was some around, but it wasn't great. So I'm like, all right, I got to take my, I'm going to go down to the Parker. Now I fished the Parker myself, yeah. but I don't think I, at this point, I'd never taken a charter. It might've been my second or third year. So I was still pretty green, right? So I'm like, all right, I'll go down there. I think I could figure it out. Let me see how I'll do it with clients. And I pulled in there and I saw the Jupiter. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I'm doing something right. I don't know what it is yet, but I'm doing something right. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't fish up skinny anymore, but that's, I mean, that's what I did a, a ton of. Yeah. Running around up in, the, up in that shallow stuff. Is, it's pretty fun. It is wicked fun. Yeah, yeah the shallow water stuff is, is and great. a ton of huge fish in there for Absolutely. sure. Absolutely. Um, I probably caught the majority of my big, big, big fish in like seven feet or less, at yeah. least, you know, yeah. five feet. Yeah, very often. Yeah. It's a lot of, a lot of times it's the places nobody else wants to go. Yeah. Um, I fish a lot of laid up fish that are just hiding from, from boat traffic, especially yep. on the weekends with little notches where they, you know, nobody's going. Yep. It's like the old horseshoe off of Manchester. There was a rock pile. It was probably 200 yards wide and it formed a perfect horseshoe. But it was all boulders, and nobody would ever, nobody ever, ever go cared in. to go in. There was one little path you could get up in there, and you'd pull in, and there would be just bass laid up with their backs out of water, just laying in three feet, two feet of water over these giant rocks. And we fished it for a couple of years, and then the sea urchins got wicked expensive. Yeah. And all the main sea urchin divers came down, and they cleaned every sea urchin off of the top of that rock pile. Never saw another bass in there. Wow. No shit. That was another good story, though. I almost died in there, too. Um, <laughs> yeah. I was out with my buddy Nick Allen, huge, huge swell going. Nick brings this giant chocolate lab. He's got so huge swell. It's breaking. The whole horseshoe was breaking, but it was just barely deep enough in the trough that you could sit in there without getting killed. Um, and we're there. We get up in there. We, we, he gets a huge, like 46, 47 inch fish on the fly on his first cast. We double up on the second cast, and I hear a noise behind me, and I turn around, and one of these rogue wave swells has just closed out the open side of the whole bowl Ooh. so i can't run away from it over the rocks in the front because that's definitely gonna yeah. kill us so i turn around we're both holding rods with fish on it dumping line and i punch it into this break in eight ten foot wave and the skiff goes right through it and it like green water <laughs> over our heads <clears throat> and we turn around and his dog has got washed off the back off the boat as oh, we no. went through this friggin' wave and the dog's paddling around up in there. Now we're both hooked up. We got, like, dumped half our backing off the reels trying to get out from under this wave. We got to drive back up in there in the break and surf to go get his dog. It's a good thing it was a lap. The thing was paddling around. He was just having a great old time. like, guys, don't worry. I got it. I'll meet you on the beach. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was a good one. But, that, yeah, those little fisheries like that. And Did some, you land the fish? We got them both. Yeah. All right. We got them both. Yeah. They were all huge. They were all... Not moody. Of course, he landed the fish. <laughs> they were all, all mid, mid 40 inch bass eating flies. Oh, my God. So good. Such a good spot. And then, literally, taking all the air. I don't know if the rock rollers, when the, when the big boats would get up on the edges of it, would take all the seaweed and that killed all the urchins, or they just took every urchin off it and that allowed something else to grow in that place, whatever the urchins were eating out of there that, yeah. that then took over. But it, it's never been the same since. You know, it's wow. funny, that's like the second or third story you've told us today that have 
that there's been an ecological change in the environment with something as simple as the the water was the water plant. Yep. Yeah. Boston water plant getting all the all the sand deals affecting the, the sand deals affecting the tuna affecting the stripers out there. I yep. mean, I, I don't know. I haven't been really fishing snow like hard. There's no stripers out there like they used to. Nope, not at all. Nothing, right? Nope. And then you talk about the sea urchins inside here. I mean, we're dealing now this year, they're dredging the mouth. Last time they dredged the mouth, it took like two years for that to turn back on again. Yep, absolutely. You know, so it's like, that's like, that's like our little go-to honey hole. It's yep. like, oh shit, let's go drift the mouth. There's you know? always going to be some fish there. There's always going to be some fish there, you know. So, I'm yeah. curious to see how that bite's going to be this year, though, with all the dredging and everything that happened. Yeah, I know. I'm wondering how it's going to change. If it's going to be good or bad. Yeah. We'll yeah. see. We'll find out soon enough. Yeah, it's coming right up. Yeah, you know. Um, you do had a trips this time of year? Or you... No. no. I, I mean, nobody wants to go out in an open 31-footer in April to go up, bob around and catch a bunch. Of, I mean, two years ago and three years ago when it was go catch your limit in 45 minutes and you're home by 9 a.m. sort yeah. of thing, God, I took a bunch of guys. But yeah. I'm, I'm not going to go run around or, or sit on anchor out there in April, freeze our ass off for a couple of haddocks. Yeah, especially because, like, that stell wagon bite hasn't been as, as great as it used to be, right? No, not at all. See, it's been the opposite for us up here. Like, it's our, our bites have been great. Yeah. Good. We've had some really phenomenal haddock trips in you know, April, May. Yeah, yeah. the past four years, we've limited out on opening our opening day. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. We didn't get to go this year. And, like, typically, that's not that's a slow start, too, because, like, by the mid-April, it's, like, really good. It's starting to get really yeah. good. Yeah, yeah. water gets to, like, 45, they tend to turn on. Yeah, yeah, some of my trips in May last year was sick. We'd go out, haddock fish, um... And then be back in the river at 11 and then go fuck around with schooly stripers yeah, we'll and just came in for a couple of hours. Yeah. But yeah, you guys fish here. I'm going to fillet these up. Like, they didn't care. They just wanted to catch a couple schoolies. Perfect. We were so. even catching haddock on uh, slow pitch jigs last year. Nice. That was yeah. fun, dude. Yeah, you ever do long. that? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, man. We used to get them on the jig pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> like, super, super, those Japanese light rods, those slow pitch rods, 20 yeah. pound tests. Nice. Yeah. Dude, it was fun. It was, it was a lot of fun. So, like, just switching things up like that, keeping it interesting, yeah. you know? Yeah, not so many haddock trips um, anymore, anyway. If, yeah. If the fishing comes back when it's close and... Yeah, well, reasonable. that's also nice, too, is that you only have that 13-mile run. Yep. So, like, when I book a haddock trip, I got the 24-footer, and we're running, I don't know, anywhere between 18 to 35 miles, yeah. you know? And, um, yeah, we got to have the weather, too, yep. which, you know, in April... Yeah, it's, 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 it's dicey. No, yeah. it was nice when the fish were all up on top of the bank, and you you... Yeah, you know, bait fishing in a hundred feet of water and mm -hmm. yeah. twelve turns of the handle to get up and down instead of fishing east side of Tillys and yeah. two eighty, two eighty, oh. twenty ounces people, of lead. And... People don't realize it until you're fishing in two hundred eighty feet with twenty ounce lead, yeah. with mono on a party boat. Exactly, yeah, that's a rough yeah. day. That's a rough day. That'll, that'll weigh you down. Yeah. Or you limit out on haddock and they go, oh yeah, yeah. is there some place we can catch redfish? Yeah, you're like, yeah, but you're gonna hate it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. you're not gonna yeah. like it <laughs> one bit. We can go do it, but yeah. The redfish bite was fire last year. Oh, I know, year. yeah. It's, I wondered, I hope they're a little bit bigger this year. I got, I, got some huge ones last year, though. No. <laughs> Fallon actually in the group text today said, you know, we should do a tournament for the biggest redfish this year on the boat. Nice. Yeah, that was that good. Yeah. So. Pigeon Hill. I think we've been, yeah. we're kind of spoiled with the, the technology now, though. Like, having the power gear reels, like the, I don't know, it's just, it's a lot easier. It's not the work like it once was. Yeah, not fishing the, the old lamy glass, BA cod, the, eight foot blank. Yeah, eight foot lamy glass your, with your a forearm. 113. Yeah, the 113 inch. With a little tiny yeah. handle. Yeah, like 80 pound Dacron. Oh. <laughs> it's so funny because, like, 
I think it was last year, I gave a seminar to the Plum Island Surfcasters, and they're a great group. They're they're really cool. I do a lot of stuff with them, and uh, but it's more of an old school type yeah. of vibe, right? Yeah. So I did a little thing on Haddock, and I had my rods and reels. You know, I got like Torium 16s on like, just like little ugly stick jigging rods, yeah. right? And they were like, you use this for Haddock? And then every single one of them, I remember on the potty boats with my dad, we had these big, huge swinging 16-ounce jigs. Oh, yeah, 16-ounce This is unbelievable. Regions. I'm like, yeah, man, it's nice. Yeah, it's a whole different <laughs> I wouldn't do it if we couldn't use that <laughs> yeah, anymore. No. I'll tell you one thing. After working on the potty boats, I'm like, I'm never catching another goddamn Haddock again. Another Haddock of cod, like, I'm done. But you know what? Yeah, come February, you're praying, you're begging, waiting for Haddock, yeah. you know? Well, that's that's what it is, too. Like, these are actually some of my favorite trips of the year because, you know, it's the beginning of the season. Usually the guys I'm coming out that are coming out are guys that are just obsessed with fishing. Yeah. And, you know, when you get a good weather day, you know, I'm, I'm limited to weekends because of my day job. Yeah. But, like, you know, if we get a day and we get a bunch of guys out there, it's, it's fun. The camaraderie of that haddock fishing, it's a different change of pace. Yeah, there's a lot less stress. I Yeah, I don't feel like I'm, like, going to be on top of everything. It's like, all right, we're here. Drop your bait down. Yeah. Think, think, think. All right, cool. You got them? Yeah. Nice. Yeah. You, yeah. Up, for you up front. You haven't caught one in eight minutes. My yeah. guess is you got no clam left on. Check, <laughs> check your bait. Don't you reel that up and check, take your, yeah. check your bait. But no, I'm anxious to get going on the bass though for sure. Yeah, what do you think? You think we'll have an early year, early uh, spring, late spring, kind of right in the you middle? You know what? These these warmer winters I find are not as consistently early arrival fish. I agree with that. Uh, it seems to be the colder, win wetter winters. Yep, and always better bait on a on a colder winter. Yep, um, it'll be an interesting year. That is, he's like the fourth person we've had on here that said that about the cold winters. Yep. You know, a lot of the guys from our area, we, we've been talking about it. Those really snowy, especially like late winters, like this time of year. Yep. The hot ones don't seem to do as well early season. Yep. I think I think a lot of it's freshwater volume pumping out, so you don't yep. get nearly the, the plankton production and all that stuff in a lot of the inshore fisheries, so you don't have a lot of that small bait. Yeah. Um, oh, that adds reason to the theory that, yeah, because someone else was talking about that, you know, the flow of the water coming out. Yep. You know, and then I was like, well, what is it? That totally makes sense. That's the, the freshwater lower and the salinity, yeah. so you get more of that sort of green algae on top and starts the whole cycle. Yeah. Um, those, when those small tuna first showed up in those big years early on, small tuna, those were all freezing cold winters. Yeah. Water would be 32, 33, 34 degrees, and now it's like, what, 42, Yeah, I 43. think it's 42 when I saw it the other day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Like you said, every year is a curveball. And then last year, like... Talk about the tale of two summers between last year and the year before. Last year, there was absolutely no rain. Like, I felt like it was nope. really hot. Like, well, not even hot, but just no rain. Whereas the year before, oh, it rained every day. Yeah, and, and every weekend, for and sure. Every weekend, yeah. for sure, yeah. Which was nice. Yeah. <laughs> nice for us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't mind fishing in the rain at all. No less boats on the water. Yep. Thank you. Yep. Well, you don't have you don't have quite the boat traffic out there in Gloucester that we get around here, right? No, I, 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 I haven't driven my boat past the jetties in the Merrimack in probably 15 years because I just couldn't take it anymore. Dude, it's, it's a weekend. Yeah, it's it was, insane. It's just too much for me. Dude, there are, time, there are days from the tip of the jetty to, to my boat, which is at the Route 1 bridge pretty much, where it'll take me 45 minutes to get in. Oh, my God. There just because of the traffic and the no-wake zones and yeah. just the utter madness. Yeah, I'll burn the extra 20 gallons of gas when I'm fishing up north to run all the way around Cape Ann and go back in the Gloucester Harbor side so I don't have to drive with a bunch of oh. people up the Inisquad oh, yeah. on a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. Yeah, no Forget way. Forget it. Forget it. Nope. It's crazy. Yeah, 
Yeah. It's also, a, I think, a much nicer drive going around Cape Ann. A lot yeah. more to look at. Yeah, yeah sure it's clients fun. appreciate it. Oh, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, you get Quite the lighthouses. You get those yeah. those picturesque New England rocky shorelines. Yeah. yeah. Waves breaking. Beautiful them. houses that I'll never own. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, then, and the alternative is a bunch of, like, drunk college kids in a 13-foot whaler, you know. Yeah. 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 Cranking rap to yeah, them. Exactly. Yeah, behind them in the line. With, like, a 10-to-1 uh, guy-to-girl ratio. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. Uh, they're definitely using banana boat. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Jesus, man. Nah, I think we could talk to you all day. Oh, yeah, we could go for days on the fishing stories. Yeah. Sure, yeah. But... We're kind of at two hours right now. Well, are we really? Yeah. Nice. We got a long ride back. We're going to have to do this again. Yeah, absolutely. Love to anytime. All right. Yeah, so, guys, awesome. Nat Moody, you want to tell them about your website, your charter business? Uh, Night Heron Fishing is the website. Um, Night Heron Fishing is the Instagram. And uh, that's uh, fishing under Gloucester, Cape Ann Marina. All right, man. Bring on year 28. Awesome. Hell yeah, brother. Yeah, thanks so much for coming out tonight, yeah, honestly. It's great to hear those no stories. Problem. It's fun, fun it's stuff. Always good to talk fishing. Yeah, definitely. Great stuff, guys. And, oh, actually, while we're at it, uh, April 29th, we have the Anglers Expo down at the uh, New Report Elks Club, 9.30 to 1.30. So come on in, bunch of stuff for sale. We got some uh, local companies. We got a bunch of used gear, raffle prizes. be a good time to kick off the season. So April 29th, if you're interested, come on down. Miles of the Merrimack. Dan, you got anything you want to add? No, just hope to see you there. It's going to be a great, great time. Um, we have how many tables? Uh, right now we got 26, so we got a couple more. So Thanks for a couple yeah, more. It's, it's a couple more, more tables available if anyone is interested in selling some of their gear. Um, it's going to be yeah an awesome time, and um, I always make out with all the deals because I'm the first one there. <laughs> so, <laughs> you got to get there before yeah. Dan. <laughs> Come on down. All right, guys. Well, thanks again, Nat. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Awesome.